This week on Invasion of the Podcast, I may have accidentally killed off your favorite TV shows. We talked to artist and writer Brian Level about creating for the big and small press. And Steve will become the new Mixmaster. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and to my left, as always, is Steve. The Mixmaster. Hello, the, everyone. He has no idea what that means, too. That's the best part. I like coming up with things that you don't know what's about to happen, because hopefully you know it's not going to be anything like terrible, where I'm going to be like, here, choose a puppy or a kitten. You have to kill one. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> do that. God. Like, that would be a terrible choice, yes. you know? Like um, Now, if it was like a cat, like a full-grown cat, ver- no, I'm joking. You wouldn't, like, wouldn't make that choice. But I, I like so uh, the game I have coming up later, Steve doesn't know what it is. And I like I like a little bit of surprise with things, so yeah. um, so it'll be fun. I just like being called the Mixmaster. Mixmaster, yeah. Is like, uh, that's that's one of the, is that a transformer? Or I is think it, that's so. one of the Constructicons, isn't it? Uh, possibly. I'll be honest. I'm okay. not a <laughs> I know Destructor, and then I don't know their individual names. I, th- I think Mixmaster's the. I think it's the concrete truck, like the mixing truck. Okay. I think so. It's been a long time. I don't know, but if you and four other friends want to get together and build stuff and then become one large pop culture reference, that'd be great. So anyway, uh, we, that'll be later. Uh, we also have an interview coming up with uh, artist and writer Brian Lovell. Uh, excited to get to that. Um, that will be a lot of fun. We'll save all that um, cool stuff for then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But yeah, for now, let's talk about our weekends because I have a little bit of a, a small story. Um, I went to round one. I don't know if you know what that is or not. It, it's um, there's a fran- it's a franchise. It's it's a Japanese company okay. that 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 um, I didn't know about this place until like three days ago. Um, and they basically imagine like Dave and Buster's, but like in an anchor store in a mall. Like the, the so this was at Great Lakes Mall, in Mineral, Ohio. And I, I don't know if it was the Macy's store or something, but like imagine that square footage, but putting like a Dave and Buster's. But there's like bowling, there's private room karaoke, there's pool tables, a bunch of arcade machines, a bunch of claw machines, a bunch of like you know the skill machines there. So wait, what's what's a private room karaoke? Is that like where you just go in by yourself and it's like a closet? <laughs> it, it's just a closet with a microphone and a mirror. <laughs> and no, um, no, it's like you you like when I saw that that was something available, it made me think of every single organized crime film. Like anything I've ever seen where it's always like, it's always that private karaoke room and it's always like two guys with the paid attendants and a bunch of cocaine. And then someone comes in and either says they're being too aggressive or they get shot. That's what I think of with the pi- uh, private karaoke rooms. But I don't know. You book them for like an hour per person uh, or hourly rates per person and you go in to sing karaoke with your friends, but probably no cocaine though. Cause it's a family establishment. Um, so that, you know, they have all that and that's great. Right. Um, they do serve alcohol there. You're like, okay, that's pretty cool. But and they have a like a bar you can come up to and see all these different, you know, bottles of beer and, and the draft beers and the prices are pretty pretty actually reasonable. But you can't order at the bar. You have to order at a queue. You have to wait in line at a register to order your drinks. 
What do you mean by like a queue at the like register like you know like a queue like like if you're like if you're going to the movie theater and you want to stand in line and wait for popcorn there's like ten people you got to wait in the line like the little like the bank line like the little back and forth maze okay. you got to you got to order your drinks that way and it's like and you, so that mean, so what that means is that you can only order like a couple and then if you if you're I don't know, like someone like me that happens to drink sometimes pretty quickly, the, er, the early parts of drinking, uh, you have to go wait in line again. Like you yeah. can't just, uh, you know, order whatever, right? So it's a little it's a little weird. So the bar you can go sit at once you have your drink in hand. You just can't order at the bar. To be fair, there have been times where I've either been uh, at a place that, you know, is really busy and I know that I'm not going to get to the bar in the time that uh, it's going to take me to drink a drink. Yeah. You know? So I will sometimes admittedly buy two drinks so that uh, I have a second one sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you know um, God gave you two hands, right? right. So that's, you know, it, like one's for a, a drink and the other one's for a drink as well. That's what that's for. So, and so like, and I'll show you this, like I'll show you the picture I took. Um, of There's a sign there. Uh, again, like, so this is a Japanese company. And so once you see the sign, about um, what they, where's it at here? Um, I took this while I was waiting in line. Here it is. Uh, here, I'll show you. What's you can tell people what it says if you could zoom in on it. It's like it's a it's a it's a very cartoon looking man having a good time and a very uh, it's a it's a drunk cat. <laughs> Don't drink too much. And then it says. Can't read it. Okay, my it's, eyes are oh, sorry. And plus, my photo is also blurry because I was waiting in line after drinking. It says ID required. Alcohol will not be served to anyone under anyone who's under twenty one. That's reasonable. We may stop serving alcohol when you are obviously intoxicated. I think that's the. I mean, I, and it says don't drink too much. It's like I get that that's a fair thing, but the whole like. Who are you to judge that I'm obviously intoxicated? You don't know me. You don't know my baseline. That's what I'm saying about that. I think most bars have that quote unquote rule that they tell people that you're going to use, but like, but the, so I've never been cut off at a bar, and I'm neither of I. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I'm never a, like if I'm not, I'm never an aggressive guy. I might be a loud guy. I might yeah. be a goofy guy, but I'm not like you know you can't you you're going to serve me like I'm not that person. However, while I was there with my, my buddy, we're just like hanging out, playing the different games, having a good time. And he happened to just be walking along and like, I don't know, the security there must have thought that his pants were too low, which that's not really something we were concerned about. Security guard comes up to him and hikes his pants up for him, like reaches over and hitches his pants up. Like, not that, like, I wasn't, I don't know, like, it, it wasn't something that, it wasn't like he had a plumber's crack, it wasn't like his pants around his ankles, it wasn't like he's walking around, like, you know, flashing the goods, but a security guard physically touched him and adjusted his pants for him at this place. That's really weird. It is weird, you know? So, you know, like, that that was bizarre to me. And then, so, the rest of the night, we're, like, watching out of the corner of our eyes for the fun police, you know? And, right. And this guy was following my friend around the entire night to make sure that his pants stayed at appropriate height, which I, you know, I don't think his pants were at appropriate height to begin with either. Were there know? things around to steal or like, <sighs> so I, I, the reason I ask that is, is that uh, many, many years ago, it's probably like 15 years ago, I was in Giant Eagle and we were looking at some booze and I was wearing a big sweater and like. And you stole some stuff. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but long story short, we put the booze back and decided to just uh, go to a bar. And uh, as we were walking out, I got stopped because they're like, "Oh, we saw you like hiking your pants." Because my, yeah, my my pants were falling down because I'm a big guy and like my belt doesn't always hold my pants up. And 
you know, they're like, oh, you know, we're going to frisk you and da, da 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 So, like, was was it something along those lines? Or I don't they thought know. he was, like, sticking something in his I, I don't think they think he was stealing anything. It's just that this is a family establishment and there's kids around. And I think they want to, like, for all intents and purposes, this place you know, get, has some fun stuff, but it, it's fun within reason, like... I'm glad that um I'm glad that these guys didn't see me sometimes getting like where I disagreed with the outcome of a video game or the outcome of a uh, ski ball. I probably would have been asked to leave the place, you know. Yeah. But it, but regardless of them imminently wanting to touch your pants, round one's actually a, a pretty fun place. You get you get points like Dave and Buster's. You can go spend like them on uh, things, you know, whatever. Um, and then also too, like since you can you you pay by the game player by like the minute, like they can choose one or the other. So I don't. It's a cool place. It's just that be prepared and I guess wear wear your pants appropriately. I don't know. It's yeah, that's really weird. It was weird. Uh, I don't. I guess I've never even like. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I guess there was some actually some Japanese video games there that were all in Japanese. So those are always kind of fun to understand what the objective is. Like, there's one I guess where you flip a table out of anger. So like, so Mary, Mary, uh, my wife played that and loved it. Cause I guess you're just like upsetting people in this office space with flipping a table out of anger. And that just seems like the most Japanese like thing ever. So I, I enjoyed that. Oh man. Kathy would love that. Cause, uh, that's, that's like her favorite exp- expression. She's Is the, the table she's flip. Like, she's like, I'm going to flip a table. <laughs> so. Well then we need to go to round one and just make sure that we're dressed appropriately. That's where I was playing that uh, guards, the galaxy pinball machine. At. Okay. That, yeah, nice. that, that I posted a picture of. Yeah. Our it's wives cool can machine. flip tables and we can stand back and pretend not to be scared and, pre- and pretend <laughs> to have our pants not fall down. Yeah. So anyway, that was my weekend was, uh, <laughs> having fun but then being questioning our fashion choices so yeah so for me i uh, i did a couple of things one was uh i saw avengers again uh second viewing and had a did they win this time they <laughs> the outcome did not change oh, okay. um but i saw it with my father-in-law and uh uh we were sitting there the credits started i could tell him like he's not going to make it to the end credits so i'm like Let's just go ahead and go. And I'm like, I'll tell you what happens in the, the, the end credit scene. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I paid for having a good experience on my first viewing because there was a uh, mother with a, I'm going to guess, probably in the four to two year old range. She had two kids that were probably both in that range. Uh, and she was explaining the movie to them throughout the entire thing. Uh, so I got un- unwanted narration and watched the older one take the littler one to the bathroom a couple of times which was uncomfortable um and then uh then there was a guy who came and stood in the aisle way for about five minutes and that gave me the heebie-jeebies because <laughs> it's just like sit down dude um but yeah, uh, you're, you're telling me before we start recording it's like and your first thought is this guy's possibly a threat my first thought is that would annoy me like, yeah like it's just you know like i was annoyed but i'm like yeah. oh god this is how i'm gonna go <laughs> This is it. Although to be fair, like I think that about everything. So yeah, okay. um, <laughs> like in line at Arby's, this is how I'm gonna go. <laughs> I mean, Saturday I had hot dogs for for breakfast. I don't really think that I'm making great. This is how I'm gonna go. This yeah. is gonna be it. They're gonna find me with a hot dog. Like um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hate watch Space Jam and then like have like a coronary and everyone's gonna be like, oh, he died watching his favorite movie and then that's what's gonna happen. Like yeah, so. But uh, yeah, I, I did that. Um, but I also watched uh, Trilogy of Terror. 
Um, oh, I don't you, know. You, you, okay. Now that makes sense what you were saying. We uh, that is an anthology film from the seventies, like yeah. early seventies, and it's it was a TV movie, which I didn't okay. realize. I didn't realize. That either. Um, and it's written by Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. A little tie into your other show, Strange Highways. Um, and I'd never seen it before, and it was one of those things where I'm like, I've seen it. Like I, I in my head, there are movies where I think I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Like last week, you brought up Bubba Hotep, and I'm like, no, I've seen that. And then I'm like, wait, no, I haven't seen Bubba <laughs> Hotep. Um, but like, it's one of those movies where it's like, ah, I've seen it, and and it was on Amazon Prime. So I'm like, ah, oh, it's a short movie. I'll, I'll give it a watch. I'm watching. I'm like, I don't. I, I I definitely did not see this. The reason I think I saw it is is that the most famous you know part of that anthology is a sequence which a um, Zuni doll comes to life and attacks uh, Karen Black. And she's actually in all three segments. But um, it's a really strong segment for like 1975 on the television. Like, Yeah, that's, I mean, we, we talked about that because, uh, oh, what was the episode that we saw um, of the Twilight Zone that Matheson went back and redid? Oh, it, we were talking about Nick of Time with, yeah. um, with uh, the, the devil telling Fortune Machine and how he would kind of revisit some of this later. Um, I don't know if it was that one in particular, because that's adult comes to life. But yeah, it was Matheson. He did a second take on it. So yeah, I haven't seen it. I know Kevin is a fan of it. And everybody else that's watched has been a fan of it. I don't know why I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and like I said, I, it was one of those ones that I was, you know, I just thought that I'd seen and I clearly hadn't. But, uh, you know, the first two segments, because the, the Zuni doll is the last segment. It was the Invaders with the dolls. That's what we're ta- that's the episode we we're talking about it on because um not to ruin the invaders, but it does involve miniatures as well. Yeah. And that was a Matheson short that he didn't necessarily like the way it went in terms of the of the visual in that episode and then he ended up redoing it for for that. I don't know why it's a nick of time. I, I guess I just wanted to mention William Shatner in passing. But yeah. but yeah, no, you're right. That was the second take on that same kind of idea of of uh you know, a grown person being accosted by a smaller figure, you know, and I guess that's stuck in his head. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I should watch that. I don't know why I haven't watched it. Yeah, and then lastly, I went to a birthday party at Two Bucks in Avon, and uh, once I finally got over my anger at the fact that not everything's two bucks there. <laughs> like, like, do they at least have? Like, I've been to I've been to a Two Bucks, and you're right. Like, they're just like two bucks, and it's like if you just at least put two deer head when you walk in, yeah. At least then you could absolve yourself of the understanding. But they kind of imply that everything's two dollars. You know, well, my wife like she's five like, below. Everything's below five dollars. Well, so she's she's like, you know, she's like it. They have things that are two dollars. I'm like, no, I don't go to the dollar store and find stuff for like two dollars. It's always no. a dollar. No, I go to the two dollar store yeah. if I want stuff for two dollars. It's, it's a lovely establishment. They, they're it's really nice, so I don't mean to disparage it, but that's always my thing. Is like, I feel like if your name's two bucks, everything should be two bucks. Yeah, um, like I mean, make the portion sizes really small then, right? So then it's appropriate if you order something that's eight dollars, which would be for two bucks. You know, yeah. like for two bucks whatever anyway so that's yeah i agree i'm frustrated with that i've been to two bucks before they that's false advertising yeah and <laughs> so i went there drank too much and nobody touched my pants so. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you say that with pride or are you upset about that uh, a little bit of both <laughs> oh all right so uh, that was our that was our weekend so let's just uh, let's just get to some news everyone all right so this isn't good news so we're, we're gonna do actually there's a, a bunch of sad news in here so we'll do 
Hooray! Hooray denied! So, first thing I was going to mention is, it seemed like, so this is around the time where the network television channels do their upfronts where they talk about what's coming next season and what's been renewed. It seemed like this was just like a whole scale slaughter this year of shows getting canceled. Yeah. And normally I wouldn't want to just mention shows being canceled because there's a lot of, I don't know, I don't know about you, I don't watch a lot of broadcast television, broadcast? I don't watch a lot of broadcast television anymore. You know, I just, I watch it on Hulu when it's available, I watch Netflix, but there are shows that are actively going on that I have interest in. It's just not as much as it used to be. Um, but there's a lot of stuff being canceled. Yeah. Um, the, the big one that was like, well, actually the, 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 the big two for me, uh, one was, uh, last man on earth, which, uh, again, you guys can blame me specifically. I do. And, and Steve blames me. I, I love the show. I think it's great. You have to be in the right mood for it though. I feel like because the humor is great, but then it'll just come out of nowhere and hit you like really awkwardly in like a dramatic moment. Cause it's, it is the last people on earth and it takes some dark turns it does and it's a quirky comedy so like i i actually am actually surprised that it got four seasons um, <laughs> i'm surprised it got a second season honestly i'm just upset that like it ended on a cliffhanger and i wish that they would have found a way to at least end the series or like I don't know. Maybe the producer should have planned for it being the last episode. I don't know. Uh, maybe they had an idea. Maybe they didn't. But it would have been nice to have had some closure with that show. But again, it was four seasons of Will Forte. Will Forte. Um, I don't want to say zaniness, but uh, his his particular brand of humor, yes. which is either you love him or you hate him. Right. And I love him. But there's times where he's not saying he's he's not being funny, but he's being entertaining. I because he plays. He plays aloof. I don't know. Aloof's not even the right word. Like it's it's almost like he he understands initially what everybody's feelings are about him, but he tries so hard to change it right. that even in spite of knowing how people feel about him, he's going to want to believe hope against hope that this is the time that he's going to make it different. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Like it, which leads to some really awkward comedy. Right. And some of the physical decisions that he made with like having his eyebrows shaved for like parts of the series just make him look creepy and funny at the same time. Or when he had the half shave of the half the beard and half the hair and let that, that went on for like three or four weeks before it started growing back out. And then the, the, that came back at the end of the season too. So <laughs> they like, always did something to show him messing up, you know? So I didn't see season four at all yet. Um, I feel like, I guess I got a lot of time now. Yeah. Um, so it's my fault. It got canceled. I'm the one Nielsen rating that caused it to, to get canceled. So it's my fault. Um, I feel like, like that show. And then also like crazy ex girlfriend, which I absolutely love got renewed, but it's only for one more season. So I feel like it's also my fault. Cause I was behind on that as well. So, I'm just destroying TV. You are. Um, so other shows that got canceled, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine got canceled, but then, you know, miraculously saved because it, it, it worked out. NBC Universal actually had the the rights to Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Fox was paying for licensing. So Fox was like, all right, we're done after five seasons. And NBC Universal was like, we already own the show. It, it, it doesn't cost us any more to produce it. Well, it cost them to produce it, but they, it's, they already have ownership of it. And it's already a critically acclaimed comedy, so why not you know, why not bring it over to NBC now going forward? Because all the other Michael Schur produced uh, uh, comedies like Parks and Rec and uh, The Good Place are on NBC, so why not have Brooklyn Nine Nine there? Yeah, and it's funny because I it's one of the shows that I don't watch. Um, I just never got to it. It's so good, and I, I adore Brooklyn Nine Nine. But I will say that like I did not know so many people watched it because it was. 
everywhere like when it got canceled like well, it was all over my facebook it was all over twitter it was, it was it was like i couldn't escape it i'm like okay apparently this show's huge and i'm just well it wasn't big enough for fox to consider renewing yeah. it right so um do you did you like parks and record did you watch parks oh and yeah Rec? i loved parks and Rec. so if you like that and it just shifted to like you know new york police like in terms of like they still do their job they're serious about their job but it's every single character you love and just the way they all interact with each other Michael sure knows how to put together an ensemble comedy that is wonderful. And if you've not watched The Good Place at all, I don't know if you watched The Good Place. I haven't watched that either. I can't. I you need to watch that because to say anything else about it would be to ruin it. But it like the his anything this guy's going to do going forward, I'm going to watch. And Brooklyn Nine Nine's awesome. So if you guys have not a chance to watch it, the first five seasons are on Hulu, and I'm going to guess that they're going to keep it there since that's partially owned by NBC. Yeah. So so good on them that it got renewed. Um, other shows of import, I guess, for our show. Uh, we'll just we'll go through here real quick. Um, what else was canceled here? Um, well, I have one, uh, The Exorcist. Yeah, was, yeah, you're going to mention that. You were all about that. I, I hadn't had a chance to that watch show. it. Oh, it was so good. And where they were kind of alluding that the third season might go, it, it's really disappointing that uh, they're not going to get to do that. So, um, yeah, I. I, I can see why it didn't take off, but it was, it was in my opinion, the best horror TV show that was on TV at this time. So. You, you kind of hope one of those things, because it feels like such a, a, a niche like market, mm-hmm. you, you almost kind of hope that maybe, like you always think Netflix is the savior for everything, right? It's like, Netflix will save it. Netflix has all the money in the world, supposedly, you know, yeah. but they can't save everything. But that feels like that's the kind of show, because... Also, and I haven't watched it. I know I need to. It's it's uh, definitely on my shame list. But I feel like some of those shows are better served being binged, yeah. and and that's how you kind of catch your audience, right? So, well, I would uh, I would save them up. I would like usually watch them like three at a time. Okay. Um, but uh, the thing about that too is is that, and I I don't mean to disparage The Walking Dead, but like that's going on season nine and it seems to be unstoppable at this point. But like this year, I've lost Ash versus Evil. I talk about them like the relatives. <laughs> But I have lost Ash, <laughs> lost we Ash, we, we lost, lost Pazuzu, we lost, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that that just sucks. So, oh, what what's uh, Will Forte's character's name in the Last Man on Earth? It's uh, what's they called him by his middle name, Tandy. Tandy, yeah, we lost Tandy. <laughs> we lost yeah. Tandy yeah. with the Exorcist because his real name's his first name's Phil, but they called him Tandy because <laughs> there was another Phil. Yeah, whatever. It was a whole thing. Um, and then also was the X Files has been like pretty much officially kaput. That's kind of been talked about yeah. before. Here it is again. I didn't watch the new season. I need to, and I know you did watch. I don't know if you watched all of it. I watched the first episode, and I was kind of <laughs> mad at it, so I didn't go back and watch the rest. And yeah. now that it's canceled, I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. But now I have real no interest in in because it's it's a shame because I really like stuff they did in that last season, and they yeah, Chris Carter just had to convolute everything. Yeah, Chris Carter. First. He just said he's like, guys, I need to. I still need to make this feel like '90s conspiracy, and then whatever right so um so yeah other shows that were uh canceled that that might be of note here i just want to mention the the zach braff alex inc was canceled abc it's where he started a podcasting company yeah like, i don't understand the concept of that and i guess no one else did either so and i love zach braff like same I, here like, and i didn't watch it no nope. so. and marvels and humans was canceled that's not a surprise to anybody um yeah how long uh, the, did marvels and humans run for because like, like eight I, episodes or something yeah. it wasn't much uh what else was on here? Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, this there. But if you look ultimately, 
there was like a slew of shows that were canceled, regardless of of what we watched or didn't watch. It just felt like every every network's like, oh yeah, I'll top you and cancel six shows. I'll top you. I we'll get rid of Thursdays. They don't exist on the week. They don't exist on the calendar anymore. Um, I see that Taken was taken off the air. Yeah, and and I'm sure. Um, uh, uh, Liam Neeson is upset about that, you know, or not. I don't know. Um, what, one of the ones I want to mention real quick, though, that was canceled was uh, Kevin. Uh, was it uh, Kevin Can Wait on CBS, which was the Kevin James sitcom that lasted two seasons? Yeah, uh, because that's the one where they they introduced um, Rhea Liamy, whatever how you say her name, the, his wife Leah from Remini. Rem- Remini? Uh, yeah, Leah. his wife from yeah. um, uh, Leah Remini, I the think. other show that he did. Um, Oh, what's the name of that show now? The King of Queens. I, yeah, which I actually like that show. They so they brought her on as like a guest spot in the first season, and people loved it so much that they just killed off his his uh, on screen wife in the second season, and then they got them back together. Like it was so fast. It was like you like her. Guess she's back. Other wife dead, and then I, I guess there was some blowback from it. And then CBS is like, yeah, we're not redoing this. <laughs> like, so yeah, I think the Scientologists are behind it. it Maybe. Maybe Scientology has, you know, maybe they're just like, you know what, CBS, that's maybe that's what the S and CBS stands for. We don't know. But anyway, so, um, all right. So, yeah, enough about like, so other stuff, there's plenty of things that got renewed. Bob's Burgers got renewed. So I'm happy about that. Um, what else? Uh, obviously, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, there was an NBC sh- series called uh, Trial and Error, which I think only me and my wife had watched, but got renewed for a second season. That was actually pretty good. Uh, Timeless. Did you watch Timeless at all? No, and I don't even know what Trial and Error is. Okay, so Trial and Error, imagine it's, think of like Parks and Rec, um, kinda in the sense it's a small town, uh, it's a mockumentary type of thing, and there's a murder trial going on, and the, so this kid, he's not even a kid, he's like, I don't know, he's, but he's a, he's a lawyer from New York that comes down as a favor uh, to his boss to try to defend this guy that looks like it's very obviously that he murdered his wife. And then the, the suspect is John Lithgow. And oh, that's still on. And it, it lasted the season and it's not the strongest show, but once it kind of gets your, it's hooks into you. I was tickled the entire time I watching it. ran like two episodes and then it was done. No, like, I haven't it, heard anything it, about it, it. It's actually, it's worth the time. And there's actually a decent little mystery that builds up over it because the show waffles back and forth between, oh, he did it. Oh, he's completely innocent. And it's John Lithgow. So you're just entertained when he's on the screen, you know? So it's, it's very much, I, I loved, I loved the show, uh-huh. um, but it's coming back for uh, actually season two premieres in July. So there we go. So, if you it, so imagine like making like making murderer style like almost like documentary but like done in like a Parks and Rec type of like sense of humor. Okay. Um, and it's it's. It, I, yeah. I think we watched the first two episodes and then I just thought it went away. Like I I don't yeah. know. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, that's enough about uh about TV stuff. So, uh yeah. So we're going to go into our next story here. This is this is another bit of sadness. We just found out recently this happened in the past couple of days. Uh, Margot Kidder uh, passed away. Yeah, uh, I mean, kind of at the point now where, like, and we talked about it in the past, but, you know, it, it it's unfortunate. It, it seems like a lot of the people that we grew up watching are, are at that age now where they're passing away. And um, Well, she passed away at 69, which that isn't... It, yeah, it's not... It's, it, that's, that's 
in this day and age, that's still relatively young. Young, you know. I mean, for you know, I believe she was booked for the Motor City Comic Con this I be- coming weekend. Yeah, um, I was checking the guest list because a friend of the show, uh, Jeff Ritchie, is going to be there this weekend. So if you guys are in Detroit, go see him and all his awesome stuff. And I saw her photo first, and you know, and, you know, memorandum or memoriam, and I thought maybe they were just putting it up there as like a nicety. But yeah, I think she was supposed to be there. This is the worst joke ever, but it didn't say cancel. <laughs> oh, sorry. Anybody who's ever looked at a convention, uh, <laughs> a convention website, whatever oh, a guest canceled, that's, that's, that's not, always what they put on it. That's not a bad so. joke. That's a horrible joke, but that's a funny joke. That would have been great. I've been like, um, canceled. Um, Please, please see so and so for refunds. I'm going to hell. I wanted to say nice stuff about her too, and like (laughs) for whatever reason, that's what pops in my head. No, I mean you know, but the thing is, you wouldn't be wrong. Yeah, Yeah, that's like you know, if if uh, if it said canceled, that's a correct. It's a correct statement. Correct. Um. So yeah, she she uh, suddenly passed away at age 69. We don't. There's no cause of death, but we know that she had had a troubled life at times. Yeah. Um, so that's like, so when you say like, when I texted you about it, you're like, this surprises me, but doesn't surprise me. And not that we should base someone's t- today's life based upon what they've done. I mean, for goodness sakes, Keith Richards should be, he might be dead for 20 years now. We don't know, but he's still around yeah. and that guy's done everything, you know? Right. Like there's, there is no biological reason he should still exist, you know, but he's still out there. So yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously she was Lois Lane. Uh, was she in Black Christmas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was one of the main leads in Black Christmas. I was gonna say that was. There were two things that I was seeing in like the social media. Uh, one would be, you know, photos of her as Lois, and then the other would be photos of her in Black Christmas. Because I think those are the two roles that people tend to um, put her in. Although she's also in the original Amityville Horror. Um, oh wait, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's in the original. Amityville I think Horror. I think you're right. I'm, I'm... Um, let me fact check live while we do this. Yeah, because it's her and Josh Brolin. I haven't seen the original Amityville Horror in quite some time, um, but I'm I'm like ninety five percent positive. You know, it's. Her. I think I think you're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, Superman is obviously the one that people tend to go for uh, or go to, um, and not to bring up Star Wars on the show again, but like. One of the things that um, they always yeah. said about Mark Hamill, oh, so you're, you're Amity, right. yeah. okay, uh, about the reason Yoda worked so well was because you know Mark Hamill made you believe in that character uh, when he was on screen, and I kind of feel like her performance in Superman lends to Christopher Reeves. Like if you didn't buy her looking at Superman and falling in love with him, and and you know just being enamored with what he says and that whole scene where he catches her. Like if you didn't buy into that, you wouldn't have bought into the character of Superman the way you did. Yeah. You you needed her to be a bit manic and I'm not, that's probably a poor choice of words, but she, she was kind of, you know, full, full of like, you know, excitement and I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Where Reeves was, he, he was more, he had to be a straight man. He was Superman, right? So he could always have a sly smile, but he wasn't going to be the outgoing one. So you're right. You needed that parallel. So, um, yeah, um, I just, we just recently had talked about Superman on the show. Yeah. So I figured that that was appropriate to bring it up and I'm just looking through her, uh, her, uh, filmography to see if there's anything else in here that really stands out. I mean, it's, it's odd. Cause I think of like small roles that she did. Like she's got a very small role as a therapist in Rob Zombie's Halloween too. And, um, I feel like there's another like small role that she did recently that I'm, I'm forgetting. 
Um, she was like a split seconds in, in Superman Returns, I think, running from like debris. <laughs> um, feel like i'm I, I know that i'm missing quite a bit yeah it looks like she did a, she actually did a quite a, quite a bit of things here but what's the there, 1999 i'm sure this is the, i'll make this joke and it's probably a, a wonderful film the clown at midnight she was on the clown at midnight the clown at midnight wow um it's an american horror film there you go so um, probably not good, <laughs> but Hey, you know, a paycheck's a paycheck and you're, you know, if you're on black Christmas, which is, uh, if you've guys have not seen the original black Christmas that came out before Halloween and that's Halloween has its place. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more at some point. Cause that's one of your favorite franchises, yeah. but black Christmas was a hell of a thing that came out first and it is it holds up really 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 well yeah and it's also directed by bob clark who would later go on to bring us the christmas story yeah so he so made a wonderful family <laughs> film and black christmas so yeah very interesting uh, dichotomy there yeah so uh sad news and uh, i'm sorry that she had to cancel motor city comic-con God, I'm yeah, going yeah. To hell. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh no man! Drinking tonight, guys. You know, nice. it's it's you know we this this uh, we do try to take over the world one listener at a time, but we do that by racing to the bottom. That's what <laughs> I like doing. That's how I like podcasting is racing to the bottom. Speaking of podcasting, that was not intended to be a transition. However, uh, so I didn't know this was something going on. Other than I don't know if you listened, if you ever listened to Adam Carolla's podcast, I'm sure you know that he has a big a big big following. Um, maybe you don't know that, but it's, uh, it's, uh, the man show, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Him and Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel still do the man show. But no. So Adam Carolla has a huge, uh, podcast following and I know I'm trying to forget, forget not. I'm trying to remember which show I'd listened to that would have his, his little ad before the show. And it was the same network that he was on and he would talk about, Hey guys, if you would help to kick a couple of hours to um, help fund my my legal defense against this troll, this internet troll, because we can't let them win. I always wondered what that was, and I also like Adam Carolla. What kind of money do you have? I don't know, but yeah. you know that man show money, you know, um, and also that uh, Love Line money. You have to be, you know, making it with, with making money. Love Line's not still a thing, is it? I think it is. I think oh it still God. is. I don't think he's on it. I think Doctor no. Drew is though. Um, so there, there's these things out there called patent trolls, which they'll go and try to find something that is like an established function or idea that's taken for not for granted, but it's like it's common purpose. Yeah. And they'll go patent it and then be like, oh no, 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 no. We have a patent on this. You have to pay us money for it. And and some of them are pretty vicious. And so in this case, uh personal audio LLC, they had a patent that they were to invent a system for disseminating media content representing episodes in a serialized sequence. Meaning <laughs> they patented podcasts is what they're saying is that if you're releasing like um, um, media representing episodes, a serialized sequence, like they, they were uh, arguing that we, if like, if this show was big enough, if which, you know, Hey, you know, who knows, right. Um, they could say you owe us money because we're, you're infringing upon the patent, I, which is ridiculous, you know, like, uh, so I, this, there was, um, a court case that just, uh, it was going before, uh, what was it? Uh, the federal court or federal circuit court recently upheld, um, that basically personal audios or personal audio LLC's patent. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it, it's, it's, um, too obvious to warrant 
uh, what was it? Um, where does it say here? I'm not reading this correctly. But basically, they're saying this patent's stupid. It doesn't have any merit. Get out of here is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it took somebody to actually keep fighting them and take it to court for this to happen. I didn't realize this was a thing. I didn't realize this was the 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 entity that Adam Carolla was speaking to. They were trying to get money out of Adam Carolla, so they're like, you know, you owe us patent money. I. It, it, Podcasting, I feel like, is it's not the Wild West anymore. It's not like, you know, I mean, they've, the podcasts have existed for, what, 15 years plus now, something like that. But the beauty of it is anybody can make one. Yeah. You know, I mean, clearly they love, I'm making one, so anybody can make one. Uh, and to have somebody say, you have to pay us a licensing fee to sit in your house with microphones and talk about how much you love Spider-Man. That's ridiculous. And, and share it with others. Right. <laughs> like, I guess I guess I could just do that on my own. Be like, hey, guys, it's Saturday night. You want to come over and listen to me talk to a speaker about how much I love Spider-Man? That'll be $5. <laughs> like, so I, it's everything feels like it's monetized now. Everything feels like you have to pay for every every single thing that you do. Um, this this show's obviously free to download because uh well one i use licensed items like licensed music that i don't pay for so since i'm using it you know i can't ask to to have somebody pay me to use the licensed stuff right also i feel like if i have to pay for a podcast i may not want to listen to it because i already have uh netflix i already have hulu i already have the radio in my car i already have other shows that are free I don't want to monetize it that way. Like you, like that's why I think Patreon exists is to support the creators, not the creation. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing that uh, I mean. I support uh, Ian's podcast, uh, um, El Goro. Um, talk, uh, talk without talk rhythm. rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I also uh, support uh, the movie Crypt uh, on Patreon as well, um, and. You know, that's me putting my money behind the shows that I enjoy. And um, although I will say that anybody who's like dabbled in Patreon, uh, they make it kind of hard to find the things that you want. Yeah. I won't go into that discussion now because it's not really apropos to this discussion. But uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to. I don't know. I feel like anytime that there's money involved anymore, there's always somebody looking to screw you out of it anyway. So it doesn't surprise me that there was somebody who's like, I'm going to put a patent out on podcasting and say I invented it or, yeah. you know, whatever. But uh, it's just crazy to me that, you know, uh, it went this far for somebody to finally have to say, like, yeah, you didn't invent the podcast and they don't owe you any money. Like, it's basically abusing somebody that honestly has a patent that you know, someone else is blatantly using in terms of making gain, but this has been established, you know, like you see that stuff happen where, um, I, what was it? Didn't, wasn't there the guy that that invented the intermittent windshield wipers, not intermittent. There was something that there was a guy who invented, uh, something for windshield wipers that had the patent and the car companies just never paid them. And it became this big thing. Yeah. Um, so, and, and there's a quote in here saying, how could a patent issued in 2012 cover podcasting a technology that's been around since 2001? You're right. It isn't like you had the, you had the idea after, you know, it isn't, right. it isn't like, um, it would be like me showing up 10 years later and being like, I have this idea for the aeroplane. <laughs> like, no, like you can't like, sorry guys, I patented aeroplanes. You, the Wright brothers, you got to give me that money. You know, like, uh, so I also like it too, that one of the attorneys, um, at the EFF, which is the company that challenges the electronic frontier foundation. Uh, he is, his title is he's the Mark Cuban chair to eliminate stupid patents. That's what he, uh, so I, I appreciate that. So, um, so yeah, thanks guys. You, I didn't know you were fighting on my behalf this entire time, but I, it just, it's 
it's one of those things that I take for granted because I'm like, I, I uploaded it. I mean, I pay for a monthly service to host and that makes sense to me because I don't have that technology to disseminate, you know? Right. So, so I use the, the host that I use and they have benefits and I pay for it. And that's the deal that we have. They, you know, and that, that's fine. Um, but otherwise I, I shouldn't have to, I, I'm just glad that there isn't somebody out there saying that, you know, if for me to hit record, I have to pay money for that. You know, and it's honestly like I'm even using a recording program right now called Audacity, which is open source, meaning anybody contributes to it, and it's a free program, mm-hmm. and they keep it that way on purpose so everybody can use it. So, I, I it just this is just an interesting story to me that this actually went this far. Yeah. So, so you can thank EFF, you can thank the guy that fights stupid patents, and hopefully, um, personal audio, uh, personal audio LLC, which th- that's th- that name just sounds like it sounds like a shitty. Like business in a basement that hosts like you know either they sell speakers or stereo equipment for cars that are like you know they have tape decks still or they just rent out their speakers for like you know uh, sad birthday parties. I don't right. know. <laughs> yeah, it brings to mind uh, Michael Cohen's essential consultants uh, <laughs> that uh, he had uh, put together the day the president uh, got into office. So. Yeah, um, essential consultants with an S, and yes. he's the only one that has it. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. So thank EFF for uh, for effing uh, personal audio, not uh, EMF. But... EMF. Yeah, that, it is unbelievable. So all right, <laughs> enough about news. Uh, we're going to get into our interview. Uh, with um, Brian Level. Hope you guys enjoy that. We'll be back after that with our game. And now for our feature presentation. And we are joined by uh, artist and creator Brian Level. Brian, thank you for coming on Invasion of the Podcast. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We, we get to talk about comics and people that make them. We talk about comics all the time. We don't get a chance to talk to people that make them. So I guess we got a, a lot of thanks for that. So we appreciate the time. And uh, Steve, I'll let you start off here. Yeah. So um, just to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a background on you. Um, if you guys are familiar with Brian's work, he's worked for pretty much all the major companies at this point, uh, Valiant, Image, DC, Marvel, um, and uh, you're taking your work into some new uh, interesting creative areas uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but to kind of walk backwards a little bit, the first thing I was hoping to kind of scratch your uh I don't, a scratch. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> to, to, to scratch your arm about. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Uh, uh, to scratch cr- your brain? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, to crush your cheek about. Don't, no, 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 it's terrible. Uh, but uh, the first time that I'd met you, um, you were working on the Brothers James at, at Image. And then the second time that I met you, The Mantle had just come out, I believe. It was at the Cincinnati Comic Con. And that was a comic that I really loved. So... Um, I know that you. It was like you're like one of a like 500 people. No, I (laughs) thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I I'll be honest. Like I Steve introduced me to the mantle, and I I tore through it, and uh, because I mean it's five issues, so it's it's a really nice like fast read, and it it's it's a little different than your typical like deconstruction superhero story, you know. And I and I I've I've really dug it. It was awesome. Yeah, and I know that. uh, you told me how to say his name earlier. Ed Brisson, did I say it correctly? Yes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. He was it. the writer on that, and I was just curious to get because I think a lot of our listeners are interested in what it takes to get a you know pitch at Image in the first place going. Were you originally part of the the um, project? Were you part of the pitch uh, from the get go, or did Ed bring you in like after he had already pitched it to Image? 
for the mantle you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I jumped around. No, yeah, no, I'm just making sure. Uh, so, Ed, well, the reason I asked that is because you kind of mentioned that the Brothers James was, was an image, which technically it was not. Um, we were self-publishing that. But, really? I thought that was uh, an image. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, it's fine. But you heard about it and you thought it was image. So I think that's a testament to self-publishing uh, as well. Uh, and also, like, just making a good book can, you know, stand up with the other stuff on the shelves. But uh, as far as pitching uh, the mantle, that was something that Ed and I just kind of conceived together. I know we kind of I can't remember who had the I think Ed had the initial concept. I can't remember if it was him and I just talking on the phone or what that we were like, oh, let's do a superhero thing, but kind of like break it down or if it was just all his idea. Um, I just literally can't remember. Um, and once he kind of like shot me some ideas, I started doing some character sketches and he even shot me over some, so there's some like characters that he created as a teenager in that book that we kind of like, he shot me some sketches of, cause Ed can draw. Like that's the thing that a lot of people don't know about Ed is that he's actually capable of drawing. Um, and so he would shoot me some things and then I, I, I did a lot of studying of like, but anyway, this is, this is process stuff. Um, but we, we kind of like talked a bit about what we wanted to do and, and where we wanted to take the book um, as far as like story wise. And he had worked with Jim Valentino over at Shadowline, Image Shadowline uh, before on their book Comeback that he did with Michael Walsh and Jordi Belair. Um, and so he was he was ready to kind of go check in with Jim and see if Jim wanted to work with him again. And I knew that I feel like he said that Jim had an interest in working with him again. So he, he and I, we, we had been friends for a while. So he was like, well, let's work, work something out together. And so we kind of worked up the mantle, cooked it up, and sent it over to Jim. And, you know, he approved it, and we went to town and did that over there in Shadowline. That's cool. Um, when you uh, say that you were doing sketches and stuff like that, like, when I look at a book like that, I, I see, like, there's so much design work that you had to do for it. Um, did you have to put together, like, an entire, like, you know, these are all the characters? Uh, I guess, what what kind of process goes into developing a world like that um did you have to do a lot of you know pre-work uh beforehand or were you able to just jump right into the series not so much the series but at least the first issue um i i did a lot of like design work like up front uh primarily because like we were going to do a superhero and i had certain sort of like ideas about what a good superhero costume looks like but we were also doing sort of a deconstruction of more classic classic sort of format um, and so I wanted to kind of go back in time a little bit and look at things I liked from the past, like stuff that I like that I grew up on. And, and I wanted to kind of create a look for it that felt like classic, but still kind of modern, uh, like, you know, something that, that would in, you know, would be able to draw six times on a page and not die. Um, so that was kind of like a lot of the thinking that I went into it. And I did, I'd done a couple of pages of design for very few characters, um, and then once we settled on what we settled on, um, I was, I think the best design in that whole entire book is the plague, um, oh, yeah. which was just me, of course, looking for like, Jim Starlin, Jack Kirby, uh, worship. Uh, but, but yeah, like, so there was like, and that almost just kind of came out. Like that took very little work to get him right. Like I was just kind of like, oh, this is him. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, but yeah, like there was a, there was quite a bit of design work that went in up front and then I showed it all to Ed and we kind of talked about what we liked and went from there. Yeah, I, I liked how there was a bit of a bait and switch, and if people haven't read the series, go check it out. It's available to to buy on Comixology, and it's it's definitely worth picking up. There's there's a great bait and switch in the first issue where I think this is going a whole like Captain Universe cosmic Spider Man route to begin with, and then it just takes a left turn. So that was I was uh, really surprised with the way that you know a hero 
is is chosen and is, is called upon, and then you guys immediately are like that's not how this is going to work. And I really really liked that hard turn, and it got me. I was like, I want to know. I want to know what happens next. So that was, I just I was on board like just about halfway through the first issue. Well, I'm glad that uh, it seemed to have that effect, and we even debated on having that sort of I guess plot element, um, like in the second issue. Um, but we were just kind of like, nah, let's just. You know, let's go for it. So we 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 threw a little threw a little curveball, I guess. Yeah, because um, the it, first issue, it felt like I mean, and not to compare it to other stories, but it reminded me a little bit of Rising Stars, where it would take conventions of what you think is like regular superheroes and their like their origin, and be like, the, no, we're gonna we're gonna still give you a superhero story, but this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a little different reality. And I think I like this because it is it is a, it is a beat 'em up at times. It is a heroic story, but you guys kept choosing different avenues. Uh, to explore. And I think that that's what really gets to me now reading a book. Is this the difference of, uh, of perspective as opposed to, you know, is it, is it well drawn? Is it, is it cool fights, which both of those are in this, but it has a little bit more substance and that that's really what caught me off guard. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Ed, Ed gave us, I think at least Ed, like Ed's writing, sorry to cut you off, Steven. No, uh, you're fine. And I feel like gave me a lot to like fall in love with too. Like, like, Cabra as a character is like my favorite character I think in the whole book. Mm-hmm. Like I just love her to death. Um and so like and I don't I don't even I can't even really tell you why. <laughs> like I just kind of fell I just fell in love with her. She is such a lovely person, you know, and and I like that's really a testament to Ed's writing. Uh, but anyway, go ahead Stephen, I apologize. Oh, no, you don't you're the guest. You do not have to apologize <laughs> to me. Um uh the um the the thing that I got out of it um when I first was reading it uh, my first issue of Green Lantern was issue, I believe it's 51, that introduces Kyle Rayner, and it's very much a similar idea. Um, but when it comes to actually like being a superhero and, and having a mantle thrust on you, um, I did think it was so interesting that you know if you knew that like oh there had been 38 other people before you who tried to do this and they failed, and you know the first one kind of succeeded but he didn't really um i i thought that was such an interesting idea and i thought the 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 impetus behind like how some of the story comes together with um jen's idea of i i don't want to spoil too much but she basically takes she, she thinks she thinks outside the box <laughs> yeah. to figure out a solution we'll just say that um yeah that was unique i like that yeah so i i just i thought that that was such an interesting take on that character i guess uh, archetype and uh, the way it played out in the story. Well, I think it plays with the idea of like nobility too, to a degree, like because we, you know, it's so easy to like paint people with a with a you know like a stroke, and I think those characters are pretty multi dimensional. Yeah, I, I mean, there was the interaction with her and uh, her her boyfriend's mother about, or no, it was her mother about her boyfriend about, and then suddenly it's like you know, it's like now you're like this. Like there was a lot of good dynamics about like perspective about how someone has viewed how they live their life and then suddenly things can change instantly i it's just it's a it's a solid five issue like series and it, it ends with like you know there could be more or you're completely satisfied with where it ended up and i i don't know in my my day and age now where i feel like i can't commit to things long term that was perfect and i i, I liked uh five issues is probably where i'm at now like <laughs> sit down i'm reading something thank you so uh you know after that um you know, and just trying to figure out like uh, the flow of the conversation. You know, you've uh, we we talked a little bit about your work at Image. You've you've done some stuff at Marvel too. Um, so you know, one of the other things that uh, or 
some of the other stuff that we read was uh, the Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, which caught me off guard because that was a story uh, about uh, an alternate universe Spider-Man and Mary Jane raising their daughter. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, you know, when it comes to working on a character like that, going from, say, doing something like the mantle where uh, you're kind of creating everything whole cloth to working on you know, one of the big characters of the Marvel universe, um, you know, is, is there much difference in, in the process? Uh, I, I imagine there probably is in the sense that like the things that you can and can't do, but, um, what's it like going from, you know, getting to kind of create everything on your own and then working with these already in place characters? Is there, um, well, I, I'll let you answer the question before <laughs> I start answering it for you. <laughs> Well, I think like, what you would imagine would probably be accurate. Like, there's a lot of intimidation that comes with that switch, you know, like like something that you create from the ground up, you can feel a certain amount of confidence in it. Like, there's the, you know, normal insecurity of like, oh, I made this thing, dang it, like, what if everybody hates it? Uh, it's a little different when, you know, like Steve Ditko made it, <laughs> you know, and then you have to, you know, like, remember that it's like, it's very humbling to go, oh, yeah, like, I'm just this dude. Um, so it's a really scary thing it's weird too because like my and and right or wrong the mindset change like i don't i don't know if it's the correct way to do it or not but my brain just straight shifts from being like the i'm gonna make this thing that's real crazy and like really just kind of like immerse and show out and do all this stuff when i work on sort of work for higher properties my brain kind of shifts in a way where it feels more like i'm i'm managing a product that i that i love that's existed for a long time that everybody else loves. Um, and it, it's a really odd shift for me because I don't want to say like it's less creative because I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe it's, I think it's a different type of creativity. Um, and I'm using a different part of my brain. So like the shift happens because I, I feel very like, um, like there's a lot more rules. Um, and so, well, I'm a tattooer. So like when I draw on paper, I draw a certain way. When I draw for tattoos, I have different rules, but it creates a different type of product that's just as creative. It's just a different type of creativity. And so jumping to work for higher feels that way. It's like, oh, this is strange. Um, but did you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. With this being an alternate universe though, because this takes place in the, like the whole secret war thing a couple years ago, did you have any leeway with some of the creations? Cause I know there's like a, a skyscraper sized green goblin robot with Wolverine claws, like that had to come out of someone's mm -hmm. brain. So I don't know if you had any, any input about how a large green goblin robot would look because that, that's a well, pr pretty insane visual. <laughs> yeah. It was like weird because there, like it was already established. Um, like I jumped on issue 11 and 12. So there was 10 issues of establishing stuff before me and Ryan Stegman who wrote issues that I did also did the covers for the series as well as a large number of the issues. And he had already designed the uh, green goblin, for that issue for a cover or two before I ever got on the book. So I kind of had his design sheet to go off of. Um, so everything was pretty well in place. We used the nineties X-Men. Um, so there was, there was, I didn't do a lot of like creating anything new so much as just trying to draw this thing in the way that I draw, um, it, you know, try to bring something to the table in that regard. Um, so, so yeah, there wasn't a lot of, of creating anything new. I didn't have a lot of leeway. You know, my editor, Darren was very excellent um and and incredibly excellent at his job um even even to the point where like i feel like i could be a frustrating person to work with because i want to do something a little different you know and he's like no it has to be like this and he's right <laughs> you know what i mean 
Yeah, I mean that's editors are supposed to keep a bird's eye view of everything, right? So I mean that that makes sense. Um, with and this is a very specific question about that arc, the, the two issues that you did, and and forgive me if this is a very small detail. I have to ask this question. There's a sequence where Spider-Man walks into a bar full of bad guys and starts asking questions and just beating everybody down. Um, did you get to pick any of the characters there? Because there's one specific character that I pointed out to Steve that he had no idea what I was talking about. Um, I picked out virtually all of them except for the walrus. Oh, I saw you snuck in cardiac and that made me very, very happy. That was me. (laughs) me. Steve's like, I don't know who this is. I was like, it's the most nineties character ever. And I just, I really, really appreciated seeing like two frames of cardiac that, uh, I don't know what it was, but that cracked uh, me up. I'm a huge Eric Larson fan, so any chance I get to put Cardiac in a Spider-Man book, I'm going to do it. That's right. He did create that. I because I, I remember there. Yeah, that was uh, it. Was, there was an issue of him and Boomerang fighting Spider-Man. That was the issue before Carnage showed up, if I remember right. And um, I think you're correct. Yeah, because I because I bought that issue when I was growing up. Not the next one that's worth a lot of money, but the one with Cardiac <laughs> and Boomerang in it. But yeah, I just I thought that mm-hmm. was great. I saw that, and and I mean, is it? I understand that, you know, you, you're hired to do these things. Is it, there's a certain, is there that moment of like, I get to draw this character that I grew up reading. Is there that moment of like, not, I mean, not starstruckness, but there has to be that, like, I've, I've, you know, I've reached a certain point where I can draw Spider-Man and it's published and I can go pick it up in the store. Like, how, what's that yeah, feeling absolutely. like? Absolutely. Like I, when I, when I got the job, like my, you know, I told my wife and I was practically giddy, um, <laughs> to, Cause like what, like some of the most distinct memories of me growing up. And I, I say this sometimes, actually, I think I've said this on multiple podcasts are sitting down, reading comic books, sandwiching myself between a nightstand and a closet, uh, and reading comic books and his books. And the comics that I read specifically were like Eric Larson and Mark Bagley, Spider-Man books from the nineties. Um, like that tri-sentinel cover, I will never forget. Like it is burned into my brain. Uh, so yeah, like that's, that was like a huge deal for me to get to draw Spider-Man. The weird part is that, you know, it does kind of go away. Like you get a couple pages into the book and you're on the grind of the book and doing the job, you know? So it's like the sausage is being, you're seeing the sausage <laughs> be made. And so it's not quite as, you know, it's not that it's not appealing. It just, you know, like it becomes it, work. It, it's real now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, that's like anything. I would imagine that like um, anything creative, there is a point, even like for me and, and, and not nearly the same output as anybody else, but as much as I love something, there is that moment of like, ah, I got to finish this, you know? So mm-hmm. as much as you love it, you still get frustrated sometimes, I'm sure. Not frustrated, but it becomes work. But still, Spider-Man, that's pretty amazing. And I'm over the moon that uh, I get to talk to somebody that drew the guy I love. So that that's pretty great. Um, yeah, I'm over the moon that I had the opportunity to do it. It's, you know, Marvel's treated me really well, and they've let me work on some really great characters. And I, I, I can't, I can't speak a bad word about them. They've been fantastic. So, yeah. So I think that should pivot into uh, the Avengers Back to Basics that uh, that we picked up and um, looked at. Um, you, you, that's more recent work for you, uh, and you got to work with Peter David. What was what was that like? Peter David's like, you know, I, to me, he's one of the, like the iconic writers for for comics. Yeah. Um, well, when I heard that that when that was the job that I got offered, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like that was heavy. Like, because it's funny because like I love the Avengers, but I, like I was more blown away to work on Spider-Man as a character. I But I was like I was definitely more blown away to work with Peter David as um, a writer. Um, it, the, the only, I guess the only negative. So that was that Peter and I only ever spoke one time. Oh, wow. Um, like we weren't, yeah, we were, I mean, his scripts were very, very complete. Um, there wasn't like a lot of, I mean, I still did a lot of weird stuff in them and my, and I should, I should really say Sarah Brunstad, my editor was amazing and she really encouraged me to push 
and push the book and, and push just myself and, and to go off script if I need to, to really sell something more and, and, you know, like kind of shoot the layouts over and she'll show them to Peter. Like, but I didn't really communicate much with Peter outside. We did a phone interview for marvel.com and that was the time and that was like the first time we met and it even kind of said like how is it working with each other and i was like this is the first time i ever met peter and he's like yeah we never talked before <laughs> so it was kind of a funny like like oh nice to meet you in public that's funny. <laughs> where everybody assumes that we know each other already but he was really super sweet and really nice and i would get notes back from sarah about you know like what he would say about the stuff like especially the you know, like positive stuff so she was like oh just you know peter said this and it was like and it feels really good you know because He's worked with Lee Weeks and like, you know what I mean? Like Lee Weeks is one of the best to ever do it. Um, and so to, for him to like something that I did and is crazy. You know? Well, I guess that's a, a question. I didn't realize the, the, the lack, not lack of, but how few direct communication you had with him in terms of like creating, like, you know, drawing someone else's script, like uh, how much communication do you prefer to have? Cause I know you say you like doing something different sometimes. Like what, what's the, what's the best working relationship that you would have with a writer? Uh, me being the writer. Well, that's fair. No, I, I like virtually every, um, so I've worked with a lot of, I guess you'd call them my contemporaries or our graduating class or whatever, you know, like Ed and Paul Aller and, you know, people like that, like that kind of came up in the same Ryan Ferrier that we all came up together. Um, and we just have excellent working relationships because there's just this sort of inherent, like camaraderie. Um, so everybody kind of trusts everybody. Um, we're all aware of everybody, you know, like it's just, there's no BS. Uh, and you know, like everybody that I've worked with that isn't in that sort of, I guess, group is still incredibly awesome. Like everyone's been great. Like working with Cullen Bunn on Deadpool was awesome. He was super great, like super fast response. He's such a sweet guy. Um, like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't ask for anybody nicer to work with. Um, there was a lot less communication. Like when I was working with Ryan and Paul, um, we're both friends, you know? So like if there was something that they had a question, like I remember when we were doing secret empire, uh, Paul kind of shot me a message before he even started finishing like one of the scripts. And he was like, I, I got to have this big event. Is there anything that you want the big event to be? And I was like, I like horror stuff. So he wrote, you know, he wrote in this big giant jellyfish monster in the Secret Empire story that we did, and he just kind of did that just for me, so I could kind of cut loose and and draw like a weirdo and you know do my stuff. And so yeah, we've got really good relationships, and I think that I think just the more friendly that you are with people, the more that everybody trusts each other, and so the collaboration becomes more pure and the vision becomes more distilled. I think. Um, but working with Peter, it was fine, you know, like it like or working on Peter's script, you know, we didn't really work with each other. I worked really tight with Sarah. Um, but the product still came out really well. You know what I mean? There was no, I, I don't, I don't think anybody would know the difference. Like if you gave me, if you looked at the stuff I did on Secret Empire with Paul or the stuff I did with, with Ed or with Peter, you wouldn't know the difference. I don't think. No, I mean, I, I had, I had no idea and I'm just the average comics reader. Um, I, I did want to ask about like the, the style of the back to basics. Cause I mean, I know it's more, it's more of a uh, gateway for people that may not be familiar with Avengers. I'm, just, I'm guessing because as um, Ms. Marvel's kind of watching the previous events, I think that's kind of like, hey, you don't know comics? Read this. This will give you what you need to know about these comics. Were you in that I, mindset of kind of like bringing your style to to the, like the back to I, – I don't know what time frame it really is because there's cell phones in the story. So I'm not sure when the story is supposed to be set. But it definitely felt like um, an earlier – uh, presentation of the Avengers. Right. Well, the, if you actually, in the last issue of our run came out, uh, comes out tomorrow. 
Um, and we go all the way back to the beginning. So, <clears throat> like, you'll kind of see, like, the history of the Avengers throughout this back-to-basic story. But the stuff that, that I did on issues one and two was, wasn't really a defined, uh, time period. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but the, the I just kind of wanted to bring to the table that, like, sort of, when I read the script, I was like, oh, this feels like what it felt like when I would pick up comic books and read it as a kid. Yeah. So I wanted to really try to, like, settle the reader into that vibe of, like, this is, a, like, almost like church. You know what I mean? Like, this is a separate place where you go to do this thing that you love. You know what I mean? Like sit down and you get your book. And and so I wanted her to have that experience with the goggles where it was like, she's setting aside her time and space to do this thing. So it felt like, like almost how I felt reading comics. Um, and, and that was kind of the, the idea that I had going in was like, how do I make this feel like I felt? Yeah. Cause I mean, it felt it definitely felt like a throwback. I mean, and there's even segments in, in your mantle series where you definitely go back with the first hero that, decidedly looked different than the rest of the book. So I didn't know if you enjoyed like playing with that style, like what came before and also still making it your own. Cause I mean, I mean, visually I can see a difference. I just, you know, I don't know where, um, where your interests lie, but it sounds like you love comics from, from a lot of ages. So I can see that in your work. Yeah. Well, and honestly there, there, you might be also noticing the fact that I did all of back to basics digitally. Um, so that you might be noticing a slight aesthetic difference there, um, I say save all but like three pages. I did virtually that whole entire thing. Mm. Uh, so that that might be part of why the work looks a little bit different. Um, I'm not certain though. But I wanted to leave it a little bit more open so that way Jordan could pound in, you know, more bright colors and kind of make it feel, you know, just feel a certain way. Yeah. Well, and Steve was going to ask a question about uh, actual process and creating and and um, media. I know you had something. Well, yeah, else. no, I, it surprised me to hear you say that uh, you inked it digitally because I, I couldn't tell that you'd inked it digitally. And I don't think, you know, I don't think people um, who who think they can you know, just immediately spot it. I don't know if they can always say that. But um, when I was looking at it, I, I um, well, let me step back for a second. One of the things that's always grabbed me is, is that you're a very strong inker as well. Um, I mean, obviously you are. You know, uh, Marvel hiring you to both pencil and ink is you know, anybody that they, you know, get that they can have do both of those things, I think is always a big, you know, um, what's the word? I want to say award, but that's not the correct word. It's a, a, uh, it's one paycheck versus two. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I, I I was, um, I've always been impressed with your inking. God, I cannot talk tonight. Uh, and I, yeah, one of the questions I was going to ask about was, is are you, are you going to continue working traditionally or are you leaning towards working digitally inking wise? Uh, I prefer working traditionally always if I can. Um, there was something about back to basics that just felt like it made sense to do it digitally. I think part of it was schedule. Part of it was um, just, I don't know, like there was something about like the fact that it was a team book. So I had like all these figures that all like, you know, all these faces. I had all this sort of precise work to do that. I knew that I could just cut, I could shave 10 to 15 to 20% off time wise. Um, by doing it digitally, um, that was, that was kind of part of the, I guess part of the reason I did it was to make sure that I didn't blow any deadlines because this book had, you know, it's out every two weeks. Um, so I didn't want to blow it and, and I wanted to ensure that it looked great. Um, you know, as far as my abilities could, could take it, you know? And I know, but no, I love tra- traditional across the board. If it, if I had the time to, like if there, there was time and all that stuff, I always would rather work traditionally. 
Okay. Yeah, I know that uh, you were talking about uh, laying the story out and sending that to your editor. Do you do a lot of thumbnails first? Or I guess, what's your process like when you're penciling the page and then taking it into the process of the inks? Do they do, the, do you do the layouts and then they send back the notes? Or is it sort Are of Are you like, talking about for Marvel yeah. or just in general? Well, you know, actually, either way. I mean, what's what's your preferred process? Do you do, you do a lot of thumbnailing first? Or do you just kind of like jump onto the board and try and work it all out in your head as you're sitting there working on the page? I always thumbnail. Um, it just, depending on who I'm working for and how crabby they are, um, will depend on whether or not I send them thumbnails. <laughs> um, so, like, if I know someone's super particular and kind of a pain in the neck, uh, like, I won't send them thumbs. I'll just send them, like, loose pencils because I don't want to, you know, like, I'd like to give them enough finished material for them to not pick it apart. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, but if somebody's really cool and like chill, like I'll just kind of be like, oh, here's what I got for thumbs. Like look these over while I work over these other pages. Uh, so like Heather Antos was my editor on Deadpool and she was just like one of the most chill, awesome editors. Like she would always say if something was wrong, but I, but I always knew she was right. You know what I mean? Like I could always trust like her judgment. Same thing with Jordan. Um, like so whenever they would kind of call something out like, hey, this neck looks a little long or her head looks t-, like I, they were just right. You know what I mean? Like I didn't even have to. There's no fighting. There's no whatever. Like, but then I feel like if somebody's like being hyper particular and it can cause me potential like like hours added on to my issue, you know, over and over and over and over again, like screw it. Like they might just get inks. You know what I mean? I don't need to fool with that. Uh, but <clears throat> no, and, and and I don't even mean that to be disrespectful. You just kind of know eventually when somebody's kind of trying to make the work. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. Um, there are people, and, and it's not just editors, because I think like most editor experiences I've had have been fantastic. Sometimes it's writers too. Um, like you just sometimes get people that are nitpicky and not improving the product. They're just changing the product, and I and I don't really care for that. Um, so it, they get less from me as far as content when they're just going to try to change the product. Well, I think one of the things that I really love about your work is is that uh, all your characters seem to have a real natural. Um, both body language and uh, you do the simple stuff like you're great at drawing like the big explosions and and all that stuff and the fights but like a simple scene of two people talking uh, is I think one of your biggest strengths you can really do the and I don't want to say it's the boring stuff but the stuff (laughs) that you know people I think sometimes gloss over or don't notice as much and I think you do that stuff really well and I was just curious like you know how you work out the acting particularly you know with you know different characters because that was you know not to go back to the mantle too much but that was one of the things that I, I felt really worked well about that book is is all the characters felt unique and distinct and I feel like in all pretty much all of your work that I've read you know, everybody seems to not only just visually look like like their own identity, but they have a, um, you, you do the small stuff very well, I guess is the best way of putting it. And I don't mean to, you know. Like presence to, and silhouette. Yes. Okay. So um, I was trying to pay you a compliment. I don't know why I can't speak tonight, but. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, you're speaking just fine. You're just telling me all kinds of nice stuff. I'm over here. My hat's getting tight. Nice. <laughs> Well, no, I just like I feel like you said you like you read a lot of Bagley growing up, and he's one of my favorites. Like I would, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd not, I'm not going to stalk him, but I would like I'd certainly like to shake his hand. You know, I'm and pretty I'd, sure like, you're going to stalk him. I'm not, maybe, maybe, <laughs> but it's like I, I love his Spider-Man run. Like I, everything he's done, Spider-Man, right? And it's just like in your 
and your work's clean and it's it's like it, it, it's very it's not i mean i guess maybe it's it's somewhere to his in the sense that's always like you understand what's going on the line works clean and it and it you get the story and i feel like sometimes books i read are so trying to pull off a unique style quote unquote that it buries everything else and that like the mantle was refreshing because it felt like that like we're gonna you're you're gonna visually get everything and it's gonna still be presented well but it's not gonna punch you in the face repeatedly about like look at this like seven thousand different color splash page with everything going on and I, I appreciate the efficiency of storytelling and that's something that I feel like has always been like one of my stronger suits, like where I might be deficient in, you know, anatomy or like proportion or whatever, like wherever my deficiencies lie. Like, I feel like a lot of times just my uh, storytelling can kind of fill in the blanks there and keep keep a story, keep you immersed in a story. The small beats of people talking and people acting and stuff is, is really that is my favorite stuff to draw, because I feel like that's the stuff that that has more consequence um, over the rest of the book. I mean, obviously like a big giant murder or something like that is going to have massive consequence, but, uh, but like generally speaking, you see like character shift and move. And those are the things that come later and they blossom or they decay um, in different ways. So that's the stuff I've always really taken a lot of love in. Cause I, you know, I'm a, ta- like I said, I'm a, I'm a tattooer. I spend, you know, three, four hours with strangers constantly. So like we just talk. And it's something I've really grown to love is just like that act of discussion and speaking to one another and like relating to each other and being able to like just kind of like find a, I don't know, just relate. And I love it. And so I like drawing it too. It's great. Have, have you uh, been able to do, um, how do I phrase this? Like you look at the script, you look at the dialogue that's being presented. Have you ever done like the back and forth of like, I could, sh- I could show this without saying so much of it. Like, are you more uh, into like selling the moment or like, do you work with the writer with that or? You know. Um, well, I try not to step on their toes, you know, in the same way that I would prefer mine not to be stepped on yeah. either. Um, I do feel like, like one time in Brothers James, uh, Ryan and I had a scene, and I was like, hey, like, we have this great thing here, and this thing that we were planning on doing next issue would fit perfectly here now. How would you feel if I just kind of, like, wrote a potential alternative thing and see what you think? And so I, like, wrote out, like, sort of, like, a three, we added three or four pages to the book to do it, but we kind of, like, it, you know, it changed a, a lot of what was happening in the rest of the issue. Um, but we, you know, it was just kind of like a, like, but that was, like, a thing where Ryan and I had a really tight working relationship, and we really trusted each other. But I would, there's no way I'd be like, hey, Peter, like, you know the scene where she says this? I don't <laughs> think so. Like, I can do this. But, you know, like, and, and of course, I wouldn't even say it like that anyway, but I, I don't feel like I've ever had the inclination to do that. Um Nine times out of ten, I'm receiving a full script uh, from the writer, and so I treat that like something that they put a lot of time and energy into, and try to respect it and and not really mess with it unless I feel like I can improve it. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, that's that's kind of I guess what I was asking because I know sometimes in film you can have a bunch of dialogue that moves the story forward, but if you just if you take some of that out, you can let some of the presence kind of kind of come out, some of the mood without being so talky. You know, and I didn't know. Sure, well, if, if I just this, leave that to them. I've had writers kind of trim stuff, like okay. like okay, like I don't need this here, I don't need that there. But sometimes I think sometimes it's just a matter of like not not having it down, so you just kind of sell it uh in the visuals and then they can just trim and edit as needed well as we're on the subject of you know uh writing and drawing your stories uh that kind of leads us into uh some of your more current work um you have a um short story called you get what you need uh that's out there for folks to read right now can you tell us a little bit about that 
Oh, yeah. And if anybody that's listening to this wants to get it is pinned to it's a pinned tweet of mine on my Twitter account, which is at Brian underscore level um, on Twitter. But you can get it to yourself for free. So if you want to go download it, it's it's there. But, yeah, I guess like that kind of was born from, um, I guess, a lot of years of being trying to figure out what my voice was as a storyteller. Um, and as a comic book maker, because I'm, you know, I've, I've always wanted to kind of write my own stuff and I have kind of over the years written things, I've written pitches, I've done a lot of stuff with writing, but I've just never had like a full product, you know, um, and I've written with people like co-writing wise, I've written some solo stuff for myself. I've even like had short story that I wrote that I paid somebody to draw. Like I've kind of done the whole, I guess, nine outside of just a big series. And so having worked on the work for hire stuff at DC and then Marvel for several years, I was kind of really starting to feel like, man, like I haven't drawn anything that was mine in a while. And I have all these things that are percolating that I want to get out into the world. Like I need to just do something for me. And that's where you get what you need came from. So that's definitely more uh horror and I mean, it's straight up horror. <laughs> let's, let's be yeah. honest. Um, and, and, and you told us before we started recording that that's like, that's where you feel that you, the direction that you're heading. So, um, I mean, you, yeah, you've done superheroes and you've, you've done them well. Um, so we're like, this is what you the direction you want to go. So explain a little bit about your background of like your, the horror that you like and what, what shaped your, you know, your appreciation for it. And like, what is it that you, you want to get out there for people to see in regards to your vision of horror? Uh, well, I guess, uh, with, I guess it's going to sound really mean uh, at first, but like, I kind of want people to feel bad. Um, <laughs> like, That's fair but enough. It's, it's, but it's not out of, it's not because I don't like people or anything like that, because I sometimes feel like in the safe place of feeling bad with fiction, like you're able to, you can till things in a, in a, like in a safe way without having like the consequences of a relationship where something goes wrong or the consequences of whatever goes wrong. And it's kind of like a way to reflect, um, in a, in a safe way, you know, um, like watching horror pictures, that's something that I've done. I don't really have much care for what would be considered a, the scary movies. Um, like they find them like, it's just not my cup of tea, you know, like I get the entertainment value. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, I like things that linger, like leave lingering terror in me, (laughs) you know, like the things that like make me go back mentally to it for weeks at a time, like trying to process like, what, why did that scare me so bad? Or why did that like, like, why am I keep, you know, ruminating on this idea or how, like, like, or it'll make me think of something in my real life that I'll like start tilling up and like rolling over and trying to figure it out. And that's like the stuff that I really like. And I realize like that's not a common thing that people like. Um, but I realize that that's the thing that some people like, and I feel like it's underserved. Um, so I really wanted to, it's, and it's the thing I'm best at, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like of all the things in the whole world, I feel like I'm best at making people feel a considerable amount of discomfort with the comics that I make. So with, um, with the, you get what you need story, uh, you know, I went over it a few times trying to discern what I feel about it. And now that you've said that, where it's like, you want people to feel a certain way and then also be uneasy about it. And yeah, I'll agree with that completely uh, with, with, uh, the story because I was trying, I, I don't know. I, I was waiting for like, okay, well, what, what's going on? <laughs> and I think you're kind of leaving it up, up to us because, you know, nightmares don't have to make sense. You just wake up and be like, why did I just dream that? And I feel like that's the vibe I got uh, reading it and rereading that. Um, and it is very, it does kind of get under your skin a little bit. And I, I, I um, which, you know, 
that that's mission accomplished. Congratulations. It's going to bother me now. Uh, so when you mentioned things that keep coming back to you in terms of like stories and, and, and uh, things that you, that kind of, you know, you, uh, till over, is there any, any like particular movies that would, uh, that you come back to that aren't the typical scary movies that bother you? Is there, um, particular like books or, or anything that I'm just trying to understand the things that your perspective of that really bothers me. It doesn't make sense, but it bothers me. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think the one that most people have seen, even if, ju- even as just a clip, um, or have seen the whole movie, everybody can relate to why not understanding why they feel such dread and terror at the diner sequence in Mulholland Drive. Um, like it's just legendarily terrifying and no one can understand why. Um, but it speaks to something I think really primal and really, really chilling that, and, and something that I think like we all recognize that we fear something, but, but like what that thing is, is really difficult to discern. Um, and, and it, so it starts ask, asking us questions about what do we fear and why do we fear? Like, so Walt Mulholland Drive has some of those moments for me. Um, also, uh, there's a recent picture called Kill List that's just unshakable. Like I, I don't, I don't even recommend it to people because it's such a punishing picture. Uh, but I adore it. Okay. I'm trying to think of like old, older stuff. Uh, you know, like well, Kill List was that such, was that I mean, Ben Wheatley? Was that him that did that? Yes. Uh, okay, because I yep, Ben Wheatley and uh, Alice Lowe. Okay, who's a complete I, and total genius. If you're not familiar with Alice Lowe's work, man, she's amazing. I need to see Kill List. But, I've seen Free Fire, which that's not a, a horror film, but I really really like that. And I know he also did what was the Field in England. So I know he's mm-hmm. like all about like putting people in uncomfortable places. So I need, I know I, I do need to see kill list. Um, mm-hmm. And Alice, Alice is as well. She co-wrote, he directed sightseers that she co-wrote. Oh yeah. Yeah. As yeah, well as yeah. Co- yeah. And she co-wrote kill list. And then she also wrote and directed a movie called uh prevenge, which is like a pitch black comedy horror thing. It's really funny and really, really bleak. Nice. Yeah, but she's, she's exceptional. I lo- like as much as I like Ben, Ben Wheatley. I adore Alice Lowe as well. Because uh, I don't think she gets enough backpats for the work that she did on those on those pictures. Okay, um, but I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of old old uh like well like Rosemary's Baby is just you know infinitely horrifying. Um, yeah, that's the stuff that gets under my skin and makes me go like, okay, like what's the deal? <laughs> you know, like why am I so scared? Yeah, like, I just I mean not to talk movies a whole lot here, but like the, the ones that that aren't strictly horror films that bother me that I keep coming back to is like like Hard Candy from about what 10, 10 plus years ago. Um yeah. it has uh, El, uh what's David her name? Slade. Juno. Yeah. Ellen Page. Yeah, David Slade directed that, yeah. And then like um One Hour Photo. Uh, Mark Romanek directed mm-hmm. that I think with uh, Rob Williams that that movie left I couldn't breathe in the theater watching that and neither one of those would be classified as horror but they're uncomfortable watches and they they definitely make you feel worried about what's about to happen next and I agree that that's way more potent than ghost or or I don't know some of the some of the horror today like I don't I haven't watched any of the the more recent Insidious or whatever and Conjuring I don't know. Give me, give me people. I actually love, I actually love the first two Conjuring movies, uh, and I really loved Insidious, the first movie, but for completely different reasons. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're, I came at them differently and was like, okay, these are just fun, like sca- They're actively scary, like they're effectively scary, but they don't linger. You know? Yeah. So I mean, I, I, um, I don't know. I, I feel like today's horror is, is is going towards micro budget, and it just, you're right, uncomfortable. And unnerving doesn't seem to be necessarily what's in, uh, in in vogue right now. And and if you want to be the person to present that, make people like question what they're reading in terms of like their emotional response, 
you know, that's awesome because I don't think that there's enough of that out there. I mean, maybe there is. I'm just not looking in the right spots. Maybe I'm too scared. I don't know. I, I do think there's a little bit of a drought in comics for it because I think the comics medium is just a really difficult medium to do that. Like horror relies entirely on controlling the audience. Mm-hmm. And so cinema is so brilliant for that genre because, you know, like you have total control over time and, you know, all that stuff. Like, uh, <clears throat> like the, have you ever seen that movie Safe with Julianne Moore from the 90s? Um, no. If you've not seen it, it's a brilliant non-horror horror movie hmm. it's so scary but like you don't know why and, it, and it's because it has such tight control over you it's so tense and so horrifying uh, the stuff that this woman is going through but like i feel like there is a bit of a drought of that in comics i think there's a couple of people that do it really beautifully um like charles burns is a master of it um like he just makes you feel constant dread even if what he's doing is cartoonish or um, the sort of madness that Al Columbia does in his comic books, which weirdly you get what you need, got a lot of comparisons to Al Columbia and one of my favorite cartoonists, David Laffham, um, who makes you feel constant terror, uh, even if something is normal. <laughs> you know, like there's this weird uh, thing. In, but, but I think there's a general drought in comics for that sort of – now Colin Bunn, who I talked about earlier, Colin is just an incredible – horror comic writer like he's just so good at it it's crazy but i think like what cohen is doing uh is different than what i want to do like i think that we're going to scratch two different itches um if that makes sense yeah well and also you use like kind of kind of a narrator kind of not with the character of vernon in your story and like, and it's kind of the spaces between the story too that that's that's almost as upsetting to me as the story itself and um so I mean, I'm sure that again, your goal, uh, anytime I see like, um, like scrawled pencil, like on the, like things like written kind of like, you can kind of understand it, but kind of not that always gets me. And, and also you have this aesthetic of like four, like forties or thirties like or forties animation style with some of that. Like it was that just like, is that something that just speaks to you or does it just feel creepy from the get go? Cause it's older and a little bit more distant from what we know now. Uh, well, that was just an idea, like, okay. that came. And so, like, I don't know, like, it, it just came as an idea, and I embraced the idea. So I started, like, you know, turning it over in my brain and did a little bit of research and, you know, kind of like, but it just kind of came to me as an idea. So, like, I can't really take a lot of credit <laughs> for it, you know. Um, it just appeared, like, uh, I guess, manna from heaven, as they say. <laughs> uh, and so I, I kind of turned it over and found a way to, to utilize it because I fell in love with it. And that was that. Well, that and some of those earlier black and white cartoons are just crazy. Like if you look at, if you watch oh, yeah. some of the early stuff before the, the, um, the codes went in place, there was some insane things they would show. And it's supposed to be stuff playing in front of like, you know, for kids in front of movies. And Oh yeah, yeah. I did. I did. Speaking of that, I found some public domain cartoons on uh, YouTube. And so I shot like a little minute or two minute short film of just my kids watching cartoons but then I overdubbed Humpty Dumpty cartoons and they were really, really profane. Uh, well, they weren't profane, but they felt like it. Mm-hmm. And so I just like added this weird sound to it. And like, and it was just like, it pretty much looked like my kids were being hypnotized by like demonic cartoons, but it was just this really <laughs> silly, like just them watching a regular cartoon. But I was just, and then when they were in there, I was put on these Humpty Dumpty ones and they're so terrifying. Like when you kind of pull the context out, like just the visuals themselves are just frightening. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, I don't know how much of a video gamer you are. Um, but I know recently that, that type of style seems to be coming back in some games. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Cuphead, 
which is uh, I've heard. I everybody keeps talking about Cuphead, and I and I hear it's impossible. So I oh, it, yeah, it I, I bought it and I immediately stopped playing it because it's so hard. But the um the animation style I think would intrigue you because they lean into that like that uh, herky jerky like thick line work like you have with some of the you know like the people wearing the gloves and the and the, the shoes like how they do back then, and I felt instantly like those were of the same kind of like what Steve said cloth earlier. And I didn't know if that was something that, you know, if you had seen it, not that I'm saying you're, you know, like, you know, paying homage to Cuphead, but it feels like there is, there is a certain type of, um, I, I don't know, uh, bothersomeness to, to animation at that time because they didn't care what they put up there. And I feel like what you have sure. and also in that game also, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's beautiful, but also unnerving. Yeah, I, well, there's. It's also just might be in the sort of collective subconscious right now because like uh, Ryan Ferrier, uh, that friend of mine, uh, just is just announced a uh, graphic novel that's going to be coming out that he did with the artist Roger Langridge. Uh, Langridge, I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name right, but uh, it just totally has that same style. Um, and uh, as well as Pim and Francie, that Al Columbia book came out last year um, in a similar style. Now Al Columbia has been doing that for forever. Um, but you know, kind of how uh, Jim Woodring has that like an old animation style. But like, I, I'm a big fan of Windsor McKay's, like uh, particularly like the the Rare Bit Feed uh, shorts. Those are really great, and I and I kind of love them. And they just have that really old, bizarre, little scary aesthetic. So there's just something about um, that everything's so polished now in mainstream comics because everybody can just draw so darn well um, <laughs> that like it's just nuts how well everybody can draw. Um, and so, like, there, since there's no limits to what can be done, then why limit it to just drawing it, like, you know, like any particular way? Like, um, so, so for me, there was a lot of excitement in just adding this weird uh, element, and and it, it's intentional. Like, there's actually like narrative reasons for it that are not clearly evident in this thing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as time goes on, and I release more stories and release more things in this sort of mood and tone and thing this world i guess uh you know like that you're going to be getting more of these things and you're not going to be getting continuations of the one like you get what you need won't have a sequel or a continuation like that's it that's all you get what you need is complete um so but there but you're definitely going to be getting more in that sort of i guess in comics we call it universe or whatever but that universe is not finished being explored neither is the vernon character and neither is any of that. Oh, good. I was hoping to sleep, but that's good to know that there's more coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's smiling. All right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and I guess it, it, just being an artist myself, too, the thing that made me laugh and like now hearing you talk about the story really makes me feel uncomfortable is is there's a specific line in, in the story that's uh, crying after you make your art as normal and funny, which at first like really <laughs> cut me because of like, oh, that's how exactly how I feel after I make something. But hearing you talk about the story and rethinking it through now, it's got like this other double edge to it, I think, almost. So, um I, I just wanted to say that was my favorite line of the story, and and uh, it, it's got new meaning now hearing you talk about it. So when I was make when I was making that book this year, um, I shot those sort of um, pages over to my friend Robert Wilson the uh, Fourth. If anybody's familiar with him, he works on a fantastic book with Chris Sabella and uh, Nick Flaherty called uh, at Oni Press called Heartthrob, but Robert draws it, um, and uh, I you know he's a good pal of mine, and we. We sync up a lot of times, not even like we agree, because we don't always agree, um, but we're, I feel like we're, I always kind of say like we're kind of kindred spirits in a way. 
Um, and so I'll shoot things over to Robert and, uh, Robert kind of like shot me back just quotes of that line. And he was like, <laughs> oof, man. <laughs> That's perfect. So, yeah, I'm glad that, I'm glad that us artists are getting hurt by my, <laughs> by my, it's done by a my little. nasty day. If you can't feel feels, then there's no reason doing it. You know, yeah. So, um, all right. So I think uh, just to kind of kind of wrap it up because you've you've talked to us for quite a while and we appreciate the conversation greatly. Yeah. Thanks for all your time. Um, just you know the, the the what what advice would you give people that want to get into this? You know, in terms of like you know like just I get not just get into drawing because I guess you got to learn how to draw, but like mm-hmm. what was the best the best helpful thing that got you into the business to where you were satisfied with where you're at putting output and you know getting hired to do things. Uh, you're talking about artists or you just art like in terms of like, just like drawing and, and getting into the comics world. And I, I know it's easier now to like, it's easier now to get some stuff out there just because of the way the internet is, but you know, you right. were doing that before that. So, uh, what was help helpful to you at the time to get where you got? Uh, for me, a lot of it was just kind of like, uh, like reaching out to people, um, that I thought were really talented and like writers in particular, and just being like, here's my work. Like, if you have any, like, and not like kind of being like, do you want to work with me? I did that too, but it was someone that I had already had an established relationship with, like kind of being friendly with online or anything like that. But if it was just some stranger, I'd be like, hey, I really like what you write. Like, if you ever have any openings for any short stories or anything like that, like, I'd love to, you know, just kind of like work on something, like have something short to do. Like, I just kind of reached out to people. And the way that I did that was on Twitter. I think Twitter's been an invaluable resource for my career because most comic creators hang out on Twitter. Um, and so even though it can be a bit of a headache sometimes to navigate the platform or sometimes a headache just because it's, you know, the internet's crazy place. Um, but, but it's a, it's a great resource for a comic, comic artists, especially because you can, you can tweet and like, and post a picture with it and it all shows up at once. Like it takes no effort for the person to kind of be like, whoa, that's cool. And it's right there. Um, so just interacting with people and I always say the exact same thing. Every, every, everybody's going to be tired of hearing it, but like try to actually care about the person that you're talking to. Try not to care as much about what you can get out of them. Yeah. Like, uh, and I, yeah. and I know that's like asking, I know it's like asking water not to be wet with some people. That's just the mode that they get in is like, this is work and this is what I'm, but it's like, like remembering that cause it, what it does, what it, what it did for me was it eases the blow of rejection because I realized like, it's not about me all the time. Like sometimes these people have other things going on. Sometimes they're too busy. They have families to take care of. They have pets to take care of. They've got, um, you know, like there's a lot of things going on. So it's, it's made by caring about that person that I'm speaking with. It helps me empathize with their life and takes me out of myself a little bit. And it, and I feel like my relationships have been a lot better because of it. Um, so just being like genuinely trying to be really kind to people and, and thinking of others, um, not to think, not to put others in front of yourself um, because you have to take care of you. But, you know, treat the thing as it truly is, which is a community of people that are working hard and collaborating to make things for everyone to enjoy. Um, and so Twitter and being nice, uh, genuinely nice, not like the BS veneer of nice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know, like just drawing as much as possible and making sure that you're posting complete stories. Uh, someone one time told me that if you're starting comics, don't ever do anything that was uh, – like longer than something that you or don't ever attempt anything longer than something you've already or sorry than than the total work that you've already done okay so like do a do a strip you know what i mean and then do a page and then do two page story or three page story something like that and then jump to like a six page story and then do a 12er and then do a one shot and then do a short arc and then do a full arc you know what i mean like like just kind of 
cumulatively keep track of pages. And that's kind of like a loose rule, but what it does is it gets you used to doing beginning, middle, and end of a lot of things, as well as kind of helping you learn your craft. And that way, like, you're like your butt's not on the line on a six issue arc and it's your first thing you ever did. You know, yeah. like you could be a pro you could be a prodigy like Daniel Warren Johnson and just make something amazing right out of the gate, but he's a prodigy. So you're not, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I had to work for so long to get good at anything. And even still, I'm just like, Oh my God, like I still feel like a fraud, you know? Uh, so <laughs> just try to consider what you're getting into with all the stuff that you're doing, you know? Yeah, and I think actually I can kind of speak to the whole nice thing because um, I think that you know for anybody who's been on the other side of the table at a comic book convention, like uh, you know, you never know who's going to come by your table. Um, so it's oh, you know, always try and you know greet everybody and and be as nice as possible as you can. But like also just you know some of the best advice that I've gotten in trying to make comics has come from conventions. I can actually even think of a thing that you told me once. Um, was get away from my table. Stop talking to me. <laughs> no. Leave um, me alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just came by and you were looking at one of our prints and you were like, hey, you know, I just want to tell you that I dig this, but I wanted to mention as well that um, the next time you're coloring a piece, maybe look at your K levels because the purple was coming out really saturated and heavy. And uh, it was one of those things where I was like, all right, cool. And then, like, as soon as I did, I found the section in uh, Brian Miller's book on coloring about, uh, I think it's 30% for your K level um, when you're coloring your work. And it, it was just, it was a really nice thing for you to be like, hey, I like this, but also here's a suggestion. And I think that the comic book community in general, you know, whenever I talk to people is always, I don't know, it, it, I've worked in other industries, you know, I still work in other industries. And it's a little bit more cutthroat. And, like, I think that that niceness comes around for uh, pretty much anybody who's in the comic book industry. And, and I guess it's a nice way of just saying, like, hey, don't be a dick. But, like, you know, I totally sure. agree with what you're saying. So, Well, and as much as people complain about, like, $4 comics or $5 comics, which does stink when you have a pull list of 20 books, uh, like, in the same breath, like, it's not like you're fighting for someone's 30 or 40 or a hundred dollars. Like your, your partner, the person right next to you is selling a book that's five bucks or four bucks or three bucks. Like, so like it, it doesn't behoove anybody to be cutthroat. Cause it's like, what's another $3? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? <laughs> like, it, like there's not that much on the line really in the scope of things. Like it doesn't, especially to be a jerk in a community so small, full of so many genuinely nice people there's no reason to burn like and honestly the only reason i told you that is because colorists that i know that are good friends of mine told me that um so like i was just kind of paying it forward i guess and trying to help and if i and if i did it unsolicited and it was rude at all i apologize <laughs> oh god no um, <laughs> no because i mean you complimented the work and like you mentioned it and i'm like as soon as you said it i was like yeah why is that <laughs> and you're like look at your k values uh in the cmyk i'm like okay <laughs> oh. so yeah it was it was not uh i certainly did not feel like you were um offering an unsolicited <laughs> advice so it's like this book would be great if it didn't look so bad that's my <laughs> advice i'm on my way no no, Brian, thank Bye. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. And um, before we wrap up here, just uh, just let everybody know, like, how can they get a hold of you? Like, you know, the best best ways to promote yourself here. And then we'll also uh, blast it on our Facebook as well. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, I was going to make a joke about how if you ever want to call me, just go to the bathroom stall. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like uh, I'm on um, Twitter. I don't. You know, some days I'm more active than others, but like you can always tweet at me at Brian underscore level. 
Um, I'm on Facebook, but, uh, you know, like I, that's a slightly different vibe. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Instagram that's primarily for, um, a lot of my tattoo stuff, uh, which is at Illuminati Tattoo, which is my tattoo shop. Um, but I think you can search my name, Brian Level, on there too, and I'll show up. Um, but so you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Facebook, I might be a little more judicious about who I, uh, like I generally, it's like if, if there's not like four to eight, uh, like four to eight mutual friends, then <laughs> sorry, I'm having a laugh. Like I, I just generally don't. And it's not, it's not because I'm trying to be rude. It's just like, I don't know. Like I put pictures of my kids and stuff up there. No, that's, right? that's absolutely fair. I think yeah. we've also always got, we've all gotten those friend requests where we're like, I don't know who this person yeah, is. Yeah. So. So we've all been there. <laughs> um, all right. So yes, uh, this has been a lot of fun and thank you for putting up with my regular comic questions and Steve's a little bit more advanced comic questions. Uh, and, and, and um, yeah, this was, it was an enjoyable conversation and I appreciate it. Everybody go check out the mantle, go check out Spider-Man or do your vows, go check out uh, the, the free story of you get what you need that is labeled on the Twitter. You can go find it and, and go read it and then not sleep. Like go find all these things. <laughs> <laughs> yes please do that and uh also regarding the regular comic book questions if i ever come off like i don't like comic books just shoot me to death because like i love comic books so <laughs> i love talking about them i love talking about if we didn't even get started on daredevil bro so maybe we can get on another time and start talking about daredevil uh, absolutely i mean yeah. you you got to mention that you drew cardiac so i'm i'm so happy that i got to talk about that for a second so if you want to talk about Daredevil, if we want to ever sneak in some other mid nineties Marvel characters, people have forgotten about, I would be all about like, you don't even understand my love of dark Hawk and sleepwalker. Like I could talk oh, about boy, them. Boy. Oh, I, I, I have to share a pitch that didn't go anywhere on sleepwalker one time that we pitched to Marvel. Please. But anyway, what, what, I love sleep. I love sleepwalker as well. That wasn't, that wasn't the one story thing that won that Epic book was it because they tried re bringing that back for like a second. no, Chad Bowers and I pitched a Sleepwalker story um, when Chad and I worked on uh, Nick Fury together. I'm just rambling. Now, uh, no, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I pitched a Sleepwalker. No, anyway, so please, I, I would be love to I'd love to hear about that. So uh, anyway, we should probably end this because you know you got things to do, uh, and I appreciate your time. And yeah, you know, we're we're babbling. We'll hit you up if you want to come back. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It'd be so much fun. Sure. Thanks, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, uh, the time. Time to play the game. <laughs> all right um and uh again thanks to brian uh that was awesome interview and he just great so check out all his stuff and we'll, we'll mention it again here at the end of the show uh game time uh so last week we talked about arrested development season four being remixed i've watched a few of those episodes it, it, the first two were a little rough because there's so much voiceover and such abundant green screen of trying to get people together. Like there's this one sequence of Henry Winkler and, um, and his maritime sailor outfit or whatever maritime mm-hmm. law that is green screen in front of a desk. It is terrible. Like it's, <laughs> it's horrendous. But then after you get past the first two episodes, it starts feeling like arrested development again. And I think they stuck new jokes in there that weren't in the original season. So I think it it's working for me. So I enjoy it. Anyway, talking about remixing. I decided to come up with a game where I'm going to give Steve here in this one bucket. Oh, what's the, what, something fell already is going to be 10 premises for TV shows that are well known. And you'll see here also, um, you'll see on the little tabs, it says pick two, pick three, whatever. Okay. The other bucket here is going to be different characters for TV shows. So you're going to pick out a premise that might have like one blank name or two blank names. And you're going to read out the premise with the characters that you pull 
from over here. Okay. You'll see. So this is either going to be wonderful or terrible. All right. So I'm going to grab the first one here, and it says pick two. So just pick two characters. Pick two. So I'd leave them blank until you open it. So this this might be... You'll, you'll see. Reading just, and I don't yeah. go well together. So if you set that aside, and I, I try to write blank one, blank two, or whatever. So. Alrighty. So. What's the first show Steve has come up with here? So the first show that I have here is that Lucille Bluth. Speaking of rest development. <laughs> travels through time, leaking, leaping from life to life, making right what one, what once went wrong. <laughs> Lucille is joined on this journey by her holographic assistant, uh, Data, which is <laughs> they, appropriate. They actually kinda, you know what? That actually, I mean, aside from the fact that it's Lucille Bluth, that all she would do is smoke and drink with everybody that she has. Data was a probably a pretty good companion that you want to help with that. What's really weird is, is I, I didn't realize that it was holographic at first, and I almost said homophobic. <laughs> I'm like her homophobic <laughs> assistant. I'm like I don't remember no, that. No, that's being just in Lucille Quantum Bluth. Leak. That's her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. Um, so also just let you know that the premises of the show, any of those characters in that show, are not in the ones you're pulling from. So you're not going to get like a Doctor Sam Beckett or, or oh, Al. okay. So these are all separate from the premises. All right. So we got Lucille Bluth. I don't think she would ever fix anybody's life <laughs> if it involved <laughs> driving or anything. No. Yeah, that that would be an inter- interesting show, though. She's an evil leaper. That's what it is, you know. Go see a Star Trek. Go see a Star Trek with Data. <laughs> all righty. So the next one is also a pick two. And There's I'm, a lot of pick twos. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm opening them up. Ooh, I'm liking these names. Alrighty, so B.A. Baracus, after a horrible, horrible accident involving gamma radiation, causes him to turn into the Incredible Hulk. No, not the Incredible Hulk. The oh, Incredible... The, oh, the Incredible Dr. Zoidberg. I'm sorry. <laughs> When made angry or under stress. So let me get this straight. Mr. T turns into Dr. Zoidberg. If he's angry or under stress, this is this is the show. I, I would watch that show. The, the incredible Zoidberg. It's it's funny because I haven't watched Futurama in like forever. And this past weekend, I was like, I, I'm like, I kind of want to go back and watch the first season again. And I started watching. But which is more intimidating, B.A. Baracus or Zoidberg? So do you feel like if he gets under stress, he just turns into Zoidberg and then nobody cares about him? I don't know. I feel like or is it the Zoidberg? Zoidberg whatever he's scarier when he gets into his mating rage and his yes. fin comes up. I mean, he did cut Fry's arm off at one point. That's true. All right, he would not pity any fools, no matter how angry he was. <laughs> All right, I've got another pick two here. I feel like I'm at a restaurant. Yeah, I mean, pick two, pick two. All righty, so for the pick two, uh, I've got. Um, I'm trying to open quickly. Oh, nice. All righty. So I've got Lassie is an aspiring photojournalist in Chicago <laughs> whose life gets turned upside down when their distant cousin, cousin Mr. Belvedere, moves in. <laughs> I just like I, Lassie would just probably take a bunch of photos of Wells is probably what I would think is what was going to happen. It must, if you, could, you could do worse as a, uh, a live-in roommate of Mr. Belvedere. I don't understand how you explain that that's, uh, you know, uh, their distant cousin. <laughs> like I, I don't know what the mutual relative is between Lassie and Mr. <laughs> Belvedere. Um, yeah. And when I read Turned Upside Down, for whatever reason, the theme to the Fresh, Fresh Prince started Prince, putting, yeah. playing in my head. As opposed to the theme to Perfect Strangers, which is uh, magical. 
Standing yes. strong. Was it on the wings of her dreams? Wow, you're good. Yeah. I once brought up uh, the actor who uh, played Cousin Balky, as his name's David Lynn Baker. No, and... Cousin Balky is Bronson Pinchot. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah the other... No, Cousin Larry Appleton. Yes, yes. yes. And uh, people just looked at me like I was some <laughs> sort of freak. Like, why do you know his name? I'm like, well, why don't you know it? Didn't we talk about Bronson Pinchot last week? I think we did, didn't we? I don't uh, think uh, yeah. so. Oh. oh, he was on Amazing... No. Story. No, I talked to... You're right. Other show I did. We talked about Amazing Stories. He was in an episode of that. All righty. I've got another pick, too, here. Maybe it'll be an Amazing Stories premise. <laughs> or maybe it'll just be an Amazing Story. You never know. I think these are all Amazing Stories. All righty. So I've got Leslie Nope. Uh, <laughs> Leslie Nope, an, an astronaut found a bottle with a magic <laughs> wish-granting and likely love interest Homer Simpson in it. <laughs> but what, I dream of Homer. <laughs> I really need to get my eyes checked because for some reason I read gyrating instead of granting. So if you hear pauses, it's me trying to like decipher words. I was trying, uh, and, I, and I actually typed these out and printed them as opposed to handwriting them because I was trying to do it better because my handwriting is abysmal. It's just a testament to my, how bad my I eyes like the, are apparently I like how, how well do you think Homer would grant wishes, though, for Leslie Nope? I'm pretty sure they'd agree on waffles, and that that's would be about, about it. it. Yeah, you're, they would agree on waffles. That's a that's a good call. So if it was an entire show based on their love of waffles, I think it would work. He would have a waffle with what was it, a stick of butter and caramel, <laughs> and, and, and something. What was it? He called it sacrilegious, yeah. wasn't it? We skipped church the one day. I think it's had... chocolate chips. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got to pick one here. Yes, uh, the only pick one. So oh, we'll I like the. The, the pick ones. They're easier to read. <laughs> well, there's a pick four in there, so good luck with that one. All right. Britta, and I'm assuming not the water filter, Britta from Community? Yeah. Okay. Britta crash-landed through the roof of the Tanner family's garage. Britta must learn the ways of Earth, and the Tanners have to take have to hide their cat from Britta. <laughs> Well, she's the worst. And when I read Tanner's, I thought this was a, a Full House thing. I'm like, did he just rewrite Full House to include an alien? And nope. then I realized that it was Elf. Yeah. So Britta crash lands and has to learn the way of Earthlings. And then she also wants to eat a cat. Which almost seems completely different from her character on Community. I don't think her character would eat I, I don't know cat. if she knows the ways of Earth all that well. She always tries to acclimate for whatever. And she always <laughs> she doesn't always succeed. So Because she's the worst. We know that. Britta's the worst. Yeah. I feel like I'm like the worst network executive. Like, we can just, you know, we're just going to put Britta, that girl, Britta, that's not her real name. No, it doesn't matter. We're going to put Britta in the garage and she's going to eat a cat and people are going to, it's a family comedy. You know, I, I think you're probably just a normal TV executive. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are meetings like Considering that. we just talked about all the shows that were canceled and, and, and not saved. Yeah. yeah. All righty. So I've got another pick two here. I got, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jonathan Chase, a.k.a. Manimal. <laughs> I wanted to describe, because you don't know his name. No one knows his name, but he's, he's the Manimal. <laughs> Owens a talking MacGyver that no one believes can actually talk. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever seen Richard Dean Anderson talk. <laughs> I, I was wondering, I was waiting for who was going to go show up for the Mr. Ed premise, but I like the idea that the <laughs> Manimal that could turn into different animals owns a MacGyver that that talks to him and no one believes that MacGyver doesn't talk, but Manimal can turn into whatever he wants. And every episode has to end with some sort of explosion. Yes. Made out of a, you know. It's like uh, MacGyver doesn't talk, but just don't leave any paper clips around him. Paper clips and chewing gum. Yeah. 
That was one of the things that I know we were talking about Will Forte earlier, but that was one of the things I loved about the MacGruber movie is that he's kind of the villain of it and he yes. just doesn't know. That, you know, <laughs> I wasn't a fan of that movie the first time I watched it and then I loved it the second time I watched it. I think it's because I got, got used to Will Forte as a comedian. And plus Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer is the bad guy. It's so good in that. He is really good in that episode or that movie. Alrighty, so I've got another pick two here. I've got Kit from Knight Rider is falsely accused for the murder of his spouse. <laughs> he is on the run trying to catch who's responsible. The one armed Ron Swanson. Oh, you got Kit try chased on Ron Swanson. Who knows how to be off the grid? Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I love Ron Swanson, but I would also not want to be on his bad side. Who would Kit's wife be? That's what I want to know. I think him and Carr from that episode well, got uh, back to, you know, like. So, I mean, Carr. Yeah, I mean, that implies that uh, yeah, I'm fine with that relationship. That's fine. I yeah. mean, is there another? I don't know. I, I mean, just, uh, my mother, the car, uh, Christine. I don't know who oh, you're going to partner up with. That's a good one. Yeah. Although, I, I think that Christine. <laughs> that would be like that crazy ex girlfriend that you want to get away from. You know? <laughs> Honey, Christine's here. <laughs> All righty. I've got another. She just choked a girl at a drive in. It's fine. You know? <laughs> I've got another uh, pick two here. All righty. Uh, I'm not sure who, if I know who this is. No. Oh, okay. So I I was 50-50 if you know who this character was. So um, Pam Poovey is from Archer. Oh, okay. Uh, and I don't know you've not seen Archer. I have not. And she, I know that she was the like... head of HR in the, in the series and she's really weird. And like, she's, she's the one always like, she says the most ridiculous things. Uh, there was, there's definitely a season where she got addicted to cocaine and <laughs> it just, it just, she is, Pam is awesome. Um, so yeah. So Pam Poovey would be, I don't know how you want to fit that in with, uh, well, Pam Poovey built robotic offspring and is trying to convince everyone that her robot Kramer is their real child. Yeah, so I would watch that. Yeah, was that a small wonder? It take? was a small wonder take. Wow, yeah. not many people remember small wonder. No, <laughs> like no, no there, there's a, a no. no, there's a character on Archer named Krieger who is a scientist that probably would do that. Would, you know, he, he's married to uh, an anime hologram in the series too, so that sounds like something he would do. Maybe not Pam. Pam would just make the robot and sell it for cocaine, probably. But I like that the robot's a Kramer, and it's like this is my child because you and would it, believe Kramer is a robot. It's like he'd just be a shitty robot that would always would come up with like you know I can do that, and then he wouldn't do it. Right. He would just open doors quickly. That's all like Kramer would do, quickly and suddenly. <laughs> Alrighty, so Alex P. Keaton is a young medical intern learning the ropes about being a physician while on the job. He's joined on his journey by his best friend, Cliff Clavin, <laughs> who is a surgical intern. So it's Scrubs, but with Alex P. Keaton and Cliff Clavin. Yeah. Would you want Cliff Clavin as your uh, surgeon? No. Because you'd probably learn all about the, the history of surgery and not even learn it correctly and then be dead before you can even get there. <laughs> but I think Alex is a doctor. I mean, it wasn't Doc Hollywood. That was uh, Michael J. Fox. Well, actually, Michael J. Fox was on three episodes of Scrubs oh, back that's in the right. day. He was. Yeah, 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 he was. Yeah. All righty. So I've got pick four as my last one here. And I think there are four left. Or is there four, yeah, there's four left? See, I did my counting right. You did. Yeah. Because I was worried. I was like, oh, did I screw it up? No. Like. It nope. looked like there was more, more than meets the eye, if you will. Um, and I'm trying to open these. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's actually, this is actually perfect. <laughs> that was really long. I wanted to explain who it was. <laughs> it's actually kind of perfect. 
I kind of like that the pick four is the last one because this is the stupidest <laughs> one of all of them. Yeah, I'll explain while I'm laughing here because uh, it, the first uh, part here is Jessica Fletcher, a.k.a. Angela Lansbury of Murder, She Wrote, is in charge of a dormitory of private all-girl school, uh, including spoiled brat uh, Peggy Bundy. That makes sense. Gossipy Fonzie. <laughs> hey, I'm talking about people. An impressionable Mork from Ork. <laughs> Those all, well, I mean, Fonzie doesn't gossip, but the Mork and the Peggy Bundy thing kind of work. Yeah. So can you tell me what show that is? What, what, the one that's the, the, the premise. The, pre- the facts of Okay, life. there we go. I just wanted to make sure. I mean, sure. you take the good, you take, you take the, the bad. bad. You take this game, and there you have it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so there we go. How was my mixed masking I think skills? it was great. I think you did the, the you did uh, above and beyond what I gave you, which was, uh, I you know, it's funny. You, do, you, do you realize how hard it was for me to be like, I need like 10 premises of shows, and I'm like <laughs> thinking of things, and I'm like, and I didn't, like, when I got to the pick four, I'm like, I can't, I don't want to do, like, I don't want to do Friends because it's like 18 people. Right. And then I was like, but what characters do I pick? And then it was, it got, it, it, it I overthought this really hard. <laughs> well, that happens. And I think we learned tonight that I need everything in large print, like I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm some sort of old man. Yeah. You're not an old man. Uh, Let uh, me change my iPhone to the large print. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to do it. I, I don't know if any of our... Um, any of our shows are going to be picked up for revival, um, but there's some good I, premises in here. I think there's five of them in there that we could probably pitch to a network and they would buy at least, you know, maybe a CW show or two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would, I'd love to see Homer's a genie. I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I bet you if I look hard enough, I'll find a Simpsons episode that did it like a Trios Terror where he was a genie. I'm sure. I feel like there was a... There was the Monkey's Paw episode with uh, the cursed uh, Monkey's Paw, if you remember that, with the, the uh, cursed Frogert. Yes. No, what I was thinking of is is the episode of the... I'm just recounting all Simpsons episodes now, but there was the episode where I believe Homer's going to cheat on his wife and... On his wife. On Marge. And uh, he uh, is trying to think unsexy thoughts. And I believe it's oh, yeah, yeah, Barney the, singing the, the, uh, the I Dream of Genie. You're right. And then all of a sudden it snaps into Mindy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. You're right. All right. So anyway, that's going to do it for us uh, this week. Um we're going to talk next week. We're going to actually, it's our year of the knockoff. So we're going to be looking at, uh, this is a big one. We've been waiting for this. Uh, Star Wars episode four, New Hope. And we all know I don't like Star Wars. Yeah. Steve's going to be like, that's like the last Jedi of its time because, <laughs> you know, because it was, there was, there was a last Jedi, you know. And, I like uh, the last and, Jedi. And, and, and I realize then, I'm then, hard on it. And then a robe disappeared. <laughs> uh, no, no, sorry. No, sorry. The person disappeared and the robe stayed. Huh. I wonder. Anyway, so we're going to talk about like that. That was um, that came out, and I had the date. It was 76? 1977. Uh, 77, all right? Then we're going to talk about uh, 1970. Oh, I have it here right now. It's in my notes. It was so, so rememberable. Um, 1979 Star Crash. So speaking of Knight Rider, we got Mr. David Hasselhoff. You got David Hasselhoff, a robot. Uh, with a Western twang, right? Like yes. Sassy ro- uh, Western robot. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is a, this is um, definitely a cash grab, cashing in on Star Wars. And just the context, this came out before Empire Strikes Back. So they saw the first Star Wars and was like, we're going to copy that. And I've heard this movie has its own kind of charm. I know it's on the most recent season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and the, the revival. 
I haven't watched that episode yet. Clearly, you know how I don't ever get to anything. So I've been, I'm keeping myself from that. I want to watch Star Crash in its purest form. So I can't wait to talk about that. I I don't know why I'm just like sitting here silently giggling. Yeah, um, yeah, just the purest form of Star, Star Crash. Crash is you know like it's yeah. cocaine. Yeah, uh, this is pure uncut Star Crash. Do a couple couple rails of Star Crash and then uh, it, that does sound like a weird off brand. Like you know how they always have like watch out for you know white lotus or whatever like on the streets it's like watch out for star crash it will mess you up you will you'll be in poorly received italian knockoffs of star wars films no i can't do it all right so that's gonna do it for us this week again thanks to, to brian level awesome interview you can find his uh work at brianlevel.com he's also on twitter at uh was it brian underscore level I want to double check that because I feel bad because he just said it and it's right here. So we're going to find Twitter right now as we talk about it because I want to make sure that we're correct about the statement um, because he was so kind to talk to us for an hour. I can get his Twitter handle correct. So let's sorry. Let's see here. Nope. Did I do it? Did I do it right? Yeah, at, at Brian underscore level at Twitter. You can talk. You can uh, find him there. That's where you find that uh, that story as pinned. Check it out. It is creepy as all get out. Um, and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and you can also find us on invasionofthepodcast.com where I have uh, had the blog going and, and watching some weird movies there. And you can find Steve online and in person. I'll be at the Three Rivers Comic Con this weekend in Mifflin, West Mifflin, Pennsylvania. I guess it's Pittsburgh. It's a suburb. And you can also find me at the SaturdayNightSlusher.com. Yeah, here you go. So, all right. Until uh, till next week, have a safe week. And we'll see you back next time for a couple of rails of Star Crash.